0: Welcome to the Mortal Realms. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigma. Your allies through the Realm Gate this episode are...
1: I'm Davey, bringing new metal to new Lamia. This is Eric, aficionado of the Great
0: Green Twerk. And this
2: is Kenny Grimnier, roller of Bad Dice.
0: In this episode, we'll be covering the events of God Beast, the penultimate chapter of the Realm Gate Wars. War rages across Akshi Duran, as the pieces are moved into place for the final phase of the opening conflict of the Age of Sigmar. And we also welcome co-host of the combat phase, Kenny Lowell. Davey, Kenny, how are you doing, gentlemen? Just wonderful. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Davey, how's it going? I'm doing just fine. Awesome. Um, well, it's uh been a little bit since our last episode, but August uh I think everyone knows that uh is full of vacations and downtime and uh you know last minute uh last of the summer, you know trying to get a lot crammed in. so I hope you guys have been enjoying the summer weather uh, as much as I have.
1: It's a bit hotter down here, yeah, I bet I bet especially relative to coming back from Scandinavia, right. Yeah, it's a far right
0: to South Carolina. Yeah. quite the, quite the the, uh, jump from one extreme to the other. But welcome, yes. welcome back to the states for sure. Thank you. Um, so, Davey, um, how's your hobby been uh, over the last month?
1: Well, uh, besides disruptions from work and vacation and such, uh, it's been uh, getting some prep going for Holy Havoc, the team tournament we're going to in an alarmingly soon to arrive date uh like early november weeks so eight weeks yeah, six no months. i'm going to pretend it's more than that so
0: <laughs> or less
1: <laughs> yeah i don't know uh it's going to happen one way or another but uh, and what you you been working on then well interesting you should ask so uh our, our my original plan I was going to work on these desert goblins i've had the idea for a long time and then uh you were going to bring some desert ogres and then uh Eric went kind of off the reservation and all of a sudden he was sending me pictures of ogres riding Tyranids. I was like, uh, all right. Um, and then I thought I would, uh, I thought that maybe a better fit for that would be some of the new bone splitters, uh, hunting those big old monsters. So we're working on a, a theme along those lines. Yeah. So sorry to derail us, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well it's interesting. You know, one of the things about age of Sigma, I remember, um, Speaking as praises because like, oh, you can get away with these low model count armies. And then here I am doing bone splitters, which uh, are just a ton, a ton of infantry. So, yeah, yeah, good times. But uh, I have been enjoying putting the models together. Um, I, I remember when I first saw them and they, they still are the models where they got to, uh, they had to be able to rank up in the previous edition. So their arms are kind of all thrown up in the air. And I thought that look uh, a little sillier than it does, but the, I they are pretty pretty cool models that are, uh, a lot of them are advancing or running forward and, uh, get some movement. And then with a little freedom to spread the arms out to wherever you want, it's been, it's been cool. So, uh, and I really like the battle tome. I like the background. Uh, and I actually got my start with green skins in 40 K way back when. So it's been fun to kind of come back to the, to the green skin mindset. Um, and, you know, savage, but a little bit, a little bit goofy there. Uh, Things like headbutting, star drakes, and that sort of thing is pretty.
0: pretty It's it's been a little annoying in social situations, Davey. I'll just put that out there. (laughs) That, uh, but uh, but it's it's cool that you're uh, jumping into those.
1: You're more annoyed by me in social situations when it's uh, green skin instead of slanish. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you just get used to the one thing, right? (laughs) We're just talking about extremes,
0: right? Yeah. When in doubt, Um, (laughs) Uh, Kenny, what you been up to for hobby?
2: Well, I've just been reminded that Holy Havoc is alarmingly close, so
1: that's going to change, I guess, my... <laughs> we just put Kenny into to <laughs> panic mode. <hood>. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't sit here alone.
2: Well, I have my Fire Slayers. I have them... Um, I, I've been kind of paired off with the odd person who uh, who got registered late for the event, mm-hmm. so I don't know if we've actually met, but we're going to be kind of like, You know, the two guys that just kind of are throwing together their armies and and making their team. Uh, but I've been working on my Fire Slayers for a long time. They were they were done in Sweden for tabletop readiness, and I had like 12 or 13 paints, I think I finished them with. Mm-hmm. And then I've been still working on getting them a little bit more detail, like the runes and the, and the skin. Nice. Fire coming off of the Berserker and poleaxes, so things like that. Yeah. Uh, fixing hair. Yeah. yeah, stuff like that. I've been rebasing a bunch of dwarfs too. Regular dwarves, non-Fire Slayers. Right stuff. I think about like maybe 70 or 80 of them rebased. based. It's pretty nice.
0: Very good. And you've been getting in many games? I have.
2: I've played, I, I mean, in the last months that you recorded, I've probably, like, I don't know, 10 or 11 games. But I've played a lot of games with the Fire and only the Fire sliders. And I played two of the four narrative games in the General's Handbook uh, over the past two weeks.
0: Very good. That's a pretty aggressive uh, play schedule.
2: Yeah, we got a good group here, Ryan. They a GW store in Charlotte, North Carolina, and it's a, a very good crowd. and a good. I like the way the you know, mentality and the way they approach the games. Okay. We all, um, you know, kind of like we had in, in Madison. Good group.
0: Nice. Nice. So, um, for me, uh, certainly been working on, uh, as Davey alluded to, you've probably seen it around uh, Twitter or whatever, um, my uh, Tarkos Nidlord uh, writing a giant uh, Tyranid. And it's been. a a ton of fun. I I wasn't sure again, if I, when I was going to get into ogres and and Davy's idea for the desert goblins, I was like, okay, I think I can get in into this. Now, to be fair, the, the ogres riding tyrannids are in the desert. And so that's been, that's been cool. We've uh, kind of used some of the endless desert stuff from mingle miniatures, like his, that, that paint scheme to paint some ruins and stuff in the sands and, and do some things. So that's been fun. Um, but just been a, a lot of fun to work on, but I've got a lot of work ahead of me too with everything being converted and, and, uh, for, for Holy Havoc. Um, and then I, uh, had a eight player mega battle up in the twin cities and we had a few new players in there and, uh, whatnot, or people played a few games, but it was the end of, we had a kind of a campaign of called the reforging that, uh, Andrew and camp was putting on. And so this was the culmination and, uh, it was pretty fun. I brought, uh, 1,000 points, but I brought a really small list. I brought um, uh, Celestine on Drakoth, two um, Fulminators, so um, guys riding Drac- Uh um, The lances, the Spears, right? With the, the, spheres, with right? the lances. Yeah. Um, uh, Celestial Hurricaneum uh, to to be moving along with them. Uh, three Prosecutors, so they could be flying, kind of you know doing some screening and that sort of stuff. And then uh, uh, Lord uh, Knight Heraldor to give them a little boost in the beginning. Um, and so they could just, uh, move around. It was a capture the flag game. And so I w- wanted to get as much mobility out of the models that I had painted. So it was just models I had painted, um, had the most mobility and it was a lot of fun. I had, a I I had yeah. one clutch move where I, uh, got them over in position. I, um, charged the prosecutors over into a unit of wild riders. I charged the, um, not the fulminators, uh, oh, which I was paired with chaos Knights, So, you know, whatever, don't, don't worry that <laughs> uh, so was my team we were, we were playing well, that's us. how it starts <laughs> and uh, so you know I was trying to convert them to Sigmar you know uh, mm, so I had yeah. some knights uh, charge into an abomination on the right hand side I, my fulminators um, had uh, hit the flag my lord Celestant had uh, slammed into uh, a unit of 20 storm vermin and I'd hoped that any one of them would like survive enough that the fulminators could run back out of there with the flag mm-hmm. um, but as much damage I, I took out like all but like six of the storm vermin with the Lord Celestent and Battle Shock, but everything died after that. <laughs> <laughs> like I had a, a Arch Warlock that just uh, mortal wound the crap out of everything, and uh, so it was a, it was a cool bold move. Uh, but in the end, uh, I think I had the the Hurricaneum and the Heralder left to try and uh, defend our flag with the other. Uh, some, some beast men and such. So it was a, it was a really fun game.
1: Yeah. I like the heralder in that list. Um, uh, he gets a, he gets a lot of people talking about his, his tooting and blowing up terrain, but the, cause isn't one of his abilities. He let's, uh, let's guys run or also retreat and charge in the same turn. Yeah, yeah. So he just gives, gives a little bit of mobility. Now the, the thing
0: is, is that he gets stranded pretty easy mm, That's true. Uh, because of that. He also, uh, when he hits terrain, it hurts everybody, even your own guys. Um, so as much as, as devastating as it can be, and I've definitely had games where it's worked out. Uh, it's, you know, he's, he's probably effective, you know, most games, probably 25% of the time you he's, he's useful. So, um, but it's those, those, you know, swing games where it's like, oh man, he can kill lots of things really quick. So, um, but yeah, so it was a little early fun game. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, just prepping with, uh, the rest of these, uh, Ogres riding Tyranids to to get them going. It's a uh, it's cool because we get the they're just counting War Scrolls so that leaves you a little more open to what you might do. Um, you want to balance it out so you're not just bringing heroes <laughs> or anything like that, um, or or just you know, like elite stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, looking forward to to finishing that up and getting ready for Holy Havoc.
1: Yeah. So I, and we'll have you talking about balance. I think we're going a little of the balance of between players where. Uh, You've got the big hitty stuff, and I've got just the piles and piles of garbage to uh, soak up the <laughs> rest. So. Uh,
0: I just wanted to make sure that you had fun on your side too. But... <laughs> yeah. David gets
1: to take his models off. Eric gets to take off the other guy's <laughs> models. So yeah, it's a it's a team effort. <laughs> uh, no, I but it, the scrolls it. and I got the fire slayer, so I don't
2: I don't <laughs> really have a lot of options. <laughs> we have three units and, and nine possible That's it.
3: <laughs>
0: It's, uh, but it's it's fun. It's a, definitely a different uh, way of going about it. And it'll be fun to be on the table. So, all right. Why don't we... Uh, I've got a lot more uh, to talk about in the community phase, so why don't we head over there? Stay. The community phase.
1: In the community phase, we talk about news and events that are significant to the AOS community. So, community phase.
0: We actually have... Uh, been pretty busy talking with people in the community and getting involved in some really cool projects over the last month. Um, the I guess the first one I'll talk about um, uh, is uh, worked with Jeff Egan. Uh, he was uh, might see him over on the TGA community forums, um, but also he is, appears on the Warhammer Weekly. Um, well, it's on the Warhammer Weekly channel, uh, but it's the Painters Motivating Painters Google Plus group every month they do a paint review and he is often appearing on there kind of helping other painters with critiques and and encouragement and that sort of thing. And he put out a set of triumph and treachery cards, just kind of um, pulling text and rules from different locations and trying to make it a little unique for age of Sigmar. And he put up a, just a word document and I, we I'm so excited that when I got, my general's handbook the first thing i read was this multiplayer stuff in the triumph and treachery and i'm so excited uh to get some more games of that in and so his cards just inspired me so i went and i created a a template um in uh you know adobe programs and and created some you know quick uh, backgrounds and and little details here and there and then went to work kind of helping uh kind of create a more unified you know how the language is used how it's different things that help you play with them in the game some user experience stuff and uh, showed it to him. I was like, Hey, could I, could I help you do more of these? And he was totally cool with that. Um, and so last week I think we, um, put out the kind of final set over on TGA.community. You can download them and print them off, um, and use them in your, your Triumph and Treachery games. So that was a really fun project to work on. And I've gotten some good success or sorry, good feedback and positive feedback. So that was cool. Um, also, um, the mango miniatures endless desert. We've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. He released, um, his own set of, uh, allegiance, uh, traits, command traits, allegiance, abilities, and, um, uh, magic, uh, spells and, uh, released it in a, in a format as you'd expect, high quality looks similar to how the, the battle tomes look, uh, and specifically for the tomb Kings, and he had put out some other things like, uh, you know, some printable cards. And he does all this just for the community of, of Tomb King, uh, Tomb King players that, um, you know, love those guys. And so one of the things, uh, I did or we're thinking about, uh, doing and, and was able to, with his help, um, put out some desert tokens. So our Mortal Realm status tokens, some desert versions. So they're, they have kind of a desert, um, background. The text is a little bit you know, more, um, uh, you know, Sanskrit or you know a little little more organic than mm-hmm. our original ones um, and with kind of looking at the the different set of rules that the tomb king faction has was able to kind of shape a few of the tokens to be more specific to the, the tomb king needs um, so uh, if you're interested in playing tomb kings and you want some and you don't have the mortal realm status tokens we've just got some new ones out so um, hopefully They'll be out by the time this airs and uh, be ready to to go out. So that is at uh thegamecrafters.com forward slash games, forward slash uh, mortal dash realms dash status dash tokens dash desert. So that's that. Um and uh, two big pieces of news. I we've been talking about going to to holy havoc for a long time now. Um and uh One of the things that we decided a little bit ago was to um, sponsor, um, to work with um, uh, Steve Hearn and uh, the Holy Hammers and do a little sponsoring of the event. So we'll talk a little bit more about what that's going to be in upcoming episodes. But we really, I mean, since we started this and we focused on the narrative um, and been wanting to go to a Holy Hammers event Mm -hmm. since they started, this was an opportunity for us to just say, hey, whatever we can do to support this kind of event, the narrative event, um, that we wanted to, you know, be able to do so. So we'll t- talk more about how we're sponsoring that uh, in upcoming episodes. And then the last announcement for the community phase, uh, this episode. And uh, there's been a couple of requests to get some some other announcements in here. We're not able to fit them in this episode, but hopefully next episode will be able to fit a couple other announcements in. So our last announcement for the community phase. The realms are at war, fractured and disorganized. The alliances of order are in a relentless fight for survival. Their initial retaliation against the mighty Chaos Host was successful in gaining ground and momentum, but the uprising has stalled in the face of repeated counterstrikes from the Great Powers. The front line has totally disintegrated, leaving pockets of warriors from both sides surrounded by their enemies. The recovery of Nagash is slow, and in his absence of all absolute will, treachery, and deceit reign over his followers... As each schemes to become the right hand of the Lord of Death and the forces of destruction, there is war. They want for little else, but in spite of the intensity of their anarchic attacks, a lack of cohesion renders them virtually ineffective. Each of the alliances is looking for one of their number to step forward, unifying the desperate groups and leading their forces into victory. A few have shown this capability, but... Which one of these aspirants will realize their potential and rise above all others to become the legend of the realms? So we're talking about realms at war 2016. So this is a narrative event, uh, created and, uh, uh, run by eat Ming's foot. If you're not familiar, <laughs> with that. uh, uh, there's a, a few guys, there's, uh, uh, eat bats, uh, Ming and uh, Steve Foote on uh, Twitter. Uh, This will be held in Cambridge, UK on the 18th to 20th of November, 2016. It will involve six games of varying sizes and includes a doubles game. Each player will assume the role of their aspirant, who will evolve and become more powerful over the weekend. Ultimately, one aspirant will become the legend, but how each aspirant evolves will be determined by actions on and off the game board. There are four types of Aspirant War Scrolls: Commander, Ranger, Warrior, and Warlock, and each player chooses one to lead their army. We strongly encourage themed lists with an appropriate Aspirant and Legend mini, so two levels, and it would be great to see the background stories or fluff that players want to provide. Tales of the beginnings of some warbands are already surfacing on Twitter and on TGA. There will be plenty of prizes. They would love to see anyone who would like to join them. For further details, please see the event thread on TGA.community or catch them on Twitter at jimbo9jimbo, at EatBatsMitzi, at thornshield, or at tinracersteve. Uh, Will you be able to... This is their, their last piece in here. Will you be able to adapt to the rapidly changing threats? Do you trust your allies, or can your objectives be better served with others? Can you raise an army capable of crushing your opponents? And can you lead your aspirant to become the legend of the realms? Awesome. So, yeah, this is – have you guys uh, been listening and hearing about the Realms at War uh, events?
1: Yeah. I, uh, some of the other podcasts I listened to, I remember jogging here in the um, – I think listening to Black Sun, talking, getting excited about it. And uh, it's – you know, we chose to particularly highlight it here because it's that – the kind of event that uh, although we won't be going to uh, – because of geographic limitations, it's, it's the kind of event that uh, interests us, you know, excites us. It's a, it's right up our alley, so we're glad to uh, put the word out there. And you
0: know, we're sponsoring the Realms at War event as well. Um, so the Mortal Realms will have a presence there, even if uh, uh, Davy or I can't make it there. Um, we're going to be providing um, a custom Mortal Realms status token set uh, for the for each player. And so we're working with, uh, with the uh, Ming and, and Steve Foot and the other guys to come up with that set and have them ready for the event. So, um, something that if we kind of knew that we're doing with these guys, a little inspiration from them, a little uh, ingenuity on my part, and hopefully this could be something that we offer other events if they're interested, um, for a really, really good price. So, um, and we're not, uh, we're not. I'll just be very clear. I try to be clear about the status tokens. We're not getting any um, profits from this. We're just trying to make it as affordable and possible for the event and uh, in exchange for the work we're doing to you know, help them out with that. Um, that's how we're doing the sponsorship and, and supporting them. So, um, yeah, really looking forward to, to kind of creating this custom set and, and seeing those tokens on the board. And then uh, the last thing we're going to do is after the event is over, um, we're going to have a special episode where we cover, kind of treat it as if it were a Black Library story. Um, all these uh, these aspirants going through these amazing victories and, and feats and trying to become um, the the legend of the realm. So we're going to cover that uh, hopefully later this year after the, the event's wrapped up. But I um, want to get the hype out there before it starts. So go check it out, TGA.community. And- There's one more thing. Sorry about the weird audio patch. On September 16th we're going to record our uh, year one episode and since we won't be covering a book or story we're going to have nothing to talk about. So we thought we would ask uh, all of you if you'd be willing to send us topics, questions, um, things about AOS from the past year um, that you'd like us to, to talk about, reflect on, whatever. It's not that our opinion or thoughts are more important than anybody else's. But we're going to be doing this for, uh, you know, just because this is what we want to do. But we'd love for the episode to be um, kind of include all of you that want to participate. So um, you can uh, send us these uh, questions or topics any way you know how to contact us. That information is in the show notes as always um, or at the end of the episode. Um, But it'd be most helpful if you went to our TGA.community forum. And I put a special post there for this. And you can find that at www.tga.community forward slash forums forward slash topic forward slash 3012-year-1. And that's one spelled O-N-E. Looking forward to hearing from you and uh, excited to do this uh, uh, one-year show. Uh, Come be a part of it. Thanks. The Story Phase in the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the Nine Realms. So, God Beast. Now, here on the Mortal Realms, we've generally been covering the Black Library novels, and for the most part, as other campaign books have come out, there's been novels to support the storylines being talked about. So the, the campaign books, like God Beast, uh, like uh, Balance of Power, have had kind of quickly you know, touched on stories and you know, light on the detail, and then the Black Library's released novels that go into deeper character development and such. Um,
1: yeah, it was something that was real strong with Quest for Galmaraz Started to break apart a little bit in Balance of Power, yep. and now um, Godbeast more or less doesn't have any parallel novel with it. So,
0: so to get our fix and to be able to continue on the storyline for for all of you, um, we're delving into the the campaign book and. While it's been touched on other places, obviously we like to go in deep and give you names and 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 paint the pictures. So, um, this omni- the opening stages um, of the Realm Gate Wars. The Godbeast kind of recaps really quickly that obviously Sigmar's opened the floodgates. Um, they've uh, in their uh, they've given the realms hope, right? They've freed slaves. Dwarven lodges have opened up, um, and you know here it said Dwarven lodges. So I think. I mean even they're kind of hinting at beyond the fire slayers maybe um shrouded shadow shrouded elves uh have emerged to strike back at chaos so they're really kind of hinting that everything's kind of coming out of the works that that everyone's joining in
1: yeah it's it's interesting because the books are touching on specific races and specific realms but things are still going on over in uh highish and ulgu realm of light and shadow and so there's, there's stuff happening off screen that we just haven't gotten to see yet. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's nice to get those hints just so we know what's happening. We figure we're going to get, we're going to get a look at it at some point, but uh, just not quite yet. Yeah. So slaves of darkness, Skaven beastmen swarmed
0: these fights um, and you know, and where the fight is, the, the greatest demons are appearing um, and uh, you know, The chaos guides, the gods were united, but now they're they're still distracted. They're still coveting each other's things. They're still kind of trying to get in their own glories. Uh, But above all that, above all that kind of pettiness is Archeon. And he's keeping his head, he's setting in motion plans, setting plans in motion, sorry. Um, And he even wants to take the battle of the (coughs) Sigmar. And what he wants to do is he wants to turn. Um, the what they say they call them the zodiacal god beasts um, turn them against um, uh, Sigmar himself. And two points here that are interesting is one: in we touched it when we talked about Archeon uh, in that episode uh, that he he had captured the the oracle Kaethanus, um One of the uh, was he a gaunt summoner? Or he was um, no, he's a lord of change. Lord of change, there he is, and he had been kind of scattered and he you know owning knowing his full name would gain ownership of his you know control of his abilities and and all of his knowledge his pieces had been everywhere in the known realms and in in beyond and so and
1: as a result he knew about every you know he had eyes everywhere yep
0: and so so all that knowledge has come back together and it's it's archaeon uh holds it and uh now zodiacal in this book we don't i mean the zodiac is 12 right uh, in our understanding of Zodiacal, in this book, we get maybe f- glimpses of four different uh, God beasts. Do we think there's more God beasts than this? Um, I mean, I-, mm, I,
1: I think there's more. I don't know if there's 12 or if there's more than 12. I, I think uh, they're using it in the sense of, you know, uh, having to do with the stars, right? Yeah. That, that, that's, that's how I'm taking okay. it. Like, so, so big that they, they are big enough to be, you know, relevant in the, astral scheme Yeah, the, things. They have
0: an impact right. bigger than just a, a single realm or a single spa- space. Exactly. Uh, one exactly. one of those we've uh, learned about uh, when we um, had the Hammers and um, uh, Celestial Vindicators going to Shaman, and that was Argentine, a silver mm-hmm. worm who was heating up a, a silver lake and causing a silver waterfall.
1: Offspring of Dracothian yeah. corrupted by uh, chaos. Yep,
0: so. yep. Um, and uh, and it, it talks about how vast Archeon's plan is, is that no human could um, uh, could possibly grasp it. So he's kind of, you know, we've talked about this before, he's kind of alone in this space of strategy and, and whatever. And there's this, there's, throughout this book, there's these cool images of different um, warlords of the different um, gods. Yeah, and, yeah. And they're receiving messages from him, and he's just this presence in the sky. Uh, right. You know, it's just... Very honest. representing
1: to each of them what you know what they would most identify with. So when he's talking to Corgus Cole, he's dripping in blood. When he's talking to Bloab Bond, he's all <coughs> spewing off green nastiness. So, yeah,
0: um, and there's a, they talk about kind of the the you know the the books we've covered so far, they recap them really quickly the Hammer Hands and Akshi, um, the Blade, storms and Shaman, Hallowed Knights and Garan, uh. And the anvils of uh, Sigmar and Shyish, uh, the Hammerhands uh, back in Shimon to to kind of reach, um, uh, get uh, Galmaraz back. Um, and it's interesting, um, I think, to, to point out that at the start of this, um, Vandis, Hammerhand, is mm-hmm. out of the picture.
1: Right. Still getting reforged. Oh, As we recall, at the end of Balance of Power, he got straight cut in half by Archaon. <laughs> <laughs> And we weren't exactly sure because there was he was uh Arcan was passing his hand through the the um spirit essence and so we didn't know I mean, we don't know what's happening with that. We don't know if that affected the reforging or not. Yeah. Um and then
0: uh Gardas is still um uh, I mean, he's he's a, in all these four stories, it's like some Lord Celestins have gone, you know, gone kaput. Um
1: Yeah, we do get to see Gardas again here, but he's you know he's He's been missing in action for a little while. So.
0: I, I wasn't going to ruin it right yet. Well, right. But, uh, you know, so in each of these books, uh, something new. So we don't usually cover this sort of thing in uh, in the novels. But there's the the, the quote-unquote timeline thingies uh, mm-hmm. that have kind of the circles. They have – they kind of look like um, the objects you find on the rumble battle boards, those circles with, you know, curved uh, bars and stuff. And so they lead through the book and – um, there was a few, I don't know if there's a few that, that caught your guys's eyes. Um, if, if you read through it, are there any of those, uh, kind of like they're really just touch on things. They just, that's where they do a ton of name dropping and tell you about a battle in like two seconds kind of thing. Any of yeah. any of those stick out to you guys?
1: Well, I've, I've said it before. This is one of my favorite sections of any book because it's the, all these little bite sized pieces that yeah. you can get. And, uh, to that, to that extent, really like this, uh, Again, anytime they're mentioning the realm of shadows, since we know so little about it, but the daltag Duarden seeking Urgul, Urgold, and Ulgu, uh, coming back, only a single feared remained, and they were scarred in hundreds of places, and they were speaking in elven riddles, riddles which is uh, pretty cool. You know, I said little glimpse, like something's going on there. We don't know what it is, uh, but I'm glad they're they're dropping the hints. Uh, keep keep the uh, elf players engaged and. Um, the rest of us who want to know what's going on over in light and shadow. Yeah. No. yeah, that was a really cool one.
2: Yeah, you that know, sparks a little bit of I think a friendly rivalry too between like Forbes yeah. and Elves and this is the ones that haven't been released yet. I think it gives those of us who are waiting for you know the the Duarden and the Elves that haven't been released as faction books kind of just a little
1: sure bit, a nod. And and both being on the order side but clearly they're they're uh fighting against each other here. So it however they fall, it will not be, you know, clear cut. That, that's what I like is that the alliances aren't, you know, monolithic. You'd expect chaos and destruction to fight amongst themselves, but, uh, even, even orders doing that some as well. Yep.
0: Yeah. I had, uh, the, um, guy, the manager of our Warhammer store, uh, was talking to a customer and they just asked the question you're like, can, is there anything in Age of Sigmar that says that you can't, um, you know, pair Chaos and Order or, you know, that sort of thing. And, and Technically, no, right? Um, but even, you know, one of the things in in past editions, you know, it's just kind of like, how do you justify these two fighting together or fighting against each other? You know, Stormcast versus Stormcast right now. Like, there's totally these little stories and tidbits that back that up. Um, Gordrak was, uh, there's a little snippet in here about Gordrak uniting the Oryx, Groths, and Ogres uh, to smash... Uh, the necropolis of the Ghoul King Vorth. Um, so, kind of, uh, we've we've got the the Iron Jaws release, and Gordrak is their kind of their archaeon, is their um, Alarial. and uh, um, it's, but it's cool getting having him get a mention in the Romegate Wars um, stuff. So that's that's neat. Um,
2: before his release, right? This I was reading that this is before the Iron Jaws book came out.
1: That's true, absolutely.
0: Um, and then uh, Kenny, you. Tweeted uh, about the, the the Skaven flying drill engines.
2: <laughs> yeah, I like, well, first I liked that they mentioned Orphis because, you know, my brain is looking for new dwarves. So I was thinking, Steven dwarven Orphis dwarf. Okay, maybe not. I was making that part up. <laughs> like how they had the, is it the mile, maybe not here, is it the, it's like the mile wide long, where is it? I'm trying to put my notes here. A sea of magma, sea of magma to kill the Skaven invasion. I think it's like a mile wide or a mile long. this is big, Wall, this big tsunami like, of magma that they
3: call up, which I think is uh, pretty
0: nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they have, uh, we'll talk a little bit about, there's one of them that kind of alludes to the book, Skaven Walking Drill Cities. Um, we'll talk about those a little bit later. Um, and then, um, calling Archeon calls Argentine towards the eight points. Um, so, uh, as he's coming towards the eight points, he sees Glintock, a prosperous and happy. Um, kind of village or, or settlement, you know, almost seemingly untainted by chaos. And so he decides to stop and spoo demons uh, to raise the, the city to the ground. Uh, yeah. So Argentine, you know,
1: super yeah. doing his part. Uh, yeah. Congratulations. You made it through the age of chaos. Sigma the- oh, never mind. You're gone. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> so there's in the first chapter, um, there's just a lot of kind of recapping and saying, you know, where are we at so far, um, et cetera. Uh, part two, uh, War of the Flame Worlds, uh, and all these—it's—it's it's cool. There's in this book we start seeing a more def- definition of some of the realms, and in not in a way that people I think are looking for. Hey, tell me about yeah. tell me about uh, actually. I want a map. I want something, and it gives you that, but it it kind of says, well, this is just like you know one piece of where you know it still doesn't shrink uh, right. Actually, it just shrinks one part of it and says, Hey, we can define this one part of the realm.
1: Um, yeah. And so in the really, really cool, fantastical map, you know, kind of an image it's, it's part map and part, you know, as if, uh, somebody was flying through the sky and took a picture of, <laughs> yeah. of this area. And just, I mean, it's, we've said it before, but just these incredibly fantastical landscapes, really interesting. And what was cool about this also is that, uh, the uh, Brimstone Peninsula is, is yep. uh, slotted in there. So you you knew,
3: you're like, oh, I, I know that
1: place. I know what happened there. Yeah. Yep. So uh, it's fun to start getting, having some of these start to tie together. You know, we've had the storyline tied together, but now the locations are tying together a little bit. So we've got some continuity there instead of just being every time a brand new place. Yep. And uh, I like that. It makes it feel a little more real, a little more lived in.
0: Um, yeah. And it takes, we've, in a lot of these places, we've had these sub realms like pocket right. realms and we keep bringing it up. Wow. What's that? What's that? And this just kind of comes out and says, yep, there's lots of those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. so that the Ashlands is the one that, uh, the first part of the story takes place and it is made up of 16 islands that float upon an, a, an ocean of burning acid. And one of those, um, islands contains, uh, the brimstone peninsula. Uh, so again, coming full circle from the first book that came out, where is the brimstone peninsula in all of this? It's, on one of the sixteen islands floating in the ashlands. Um mm-hmm. but then besides that there's also um there's the Toroi Archipelago. Uh this some of the islands uh, uh that were part of the ashlands have become sentient uh and attack other islands. Uh, yeah. there's uh, uh the the unreachable mountain um that's visible anywhere inside in the ashlands Um, above there's a scarred Island above which is chained a sun, And, uh, we find out that this is Ignax, um, who's kind of this, this sun again, pretty close to the ground. I mean, but chained to the world, um, by I think four chains or something like that, um, that have been forged by Grugni. Um, the sun never sets. Uh, and if it did all the fires of the Ashland wouldn't go out. So, and there's this instant, interesting kind of dichotomy of like the, the greater the, the actually burns and, and things rage there, the brighter Ignax grows. Um, but it sounds like if Ignax were to go out, you know, this place would not be, you know, fit for the (laughs) actually either. Um, uh, there's the orb infernia, which is once claimed by demons. Um, but they couldn't cross the cosmic sea. Um, and so there's, we get a little bit of story about, um, how that came to be and what that's all about. Um, but it's this orb also floating up in the sky, not a part of the, the, the ashlands, but, you know, something there. Um, and then there's, uh, asphyxia, which is the most haunted of sub-realms, prowled by living, uh, a living, a living pyroclast storm. Um, and so this, again, this idea of, of things that we wouldn't consider to be sentient things or living things are just, you know, par for the course. Um, and, uh, and just talking about since the, that first strike, in uh, in in the Brimstone Peninsula, there's just this huge rivalry, obviously, between the Stormcast and the Bloodbound, and we've seen that in, in the GW releases. The the Bloodbound being just you know trying to push that these two are just the the key players in this Realmgate Wars, right? Mm. Um, and uh, um, in the opening of this uh, this story, we've got uh, uh, Lord Relictor um, Ionis Criborne uh leading some of the hammer uh, hammer hands, hammers of Sigmar, um into back to the to the realm of Asphyxia. And uh, without uh Vandis, um they're a little un- unsure of success, um him being a huge guiding guider guiding light and leader for them. Um, but uh, uh Sigmar sends along with them uh Lord Victrian and the the, the Tempestus or Tempest Lords. Uh, yeah. and, uh, we'll talk, we'll learn more about them in a little bit too. Uh,
1: another thing weighing on the hammer hands right now is their, their entire chamber was wiped out Yeah. Uh, in, in the previous book. So many of them are reforged and they're, they're seeing some of the, some of the attacks are reforging, like Cripborn can only speak in like a, a coarse whisper. Right,
0: you know? right. So, so yeah, that he, we talked about this language in the last book, the Warbeast book about how the, the Stormcasts speak really loudly. Their, their tongue is fit for war so they can yell things across the battlefield um, and, you know, to have Ionis. And, and in all the previous books, he's just shouting at the sky, shouting at the, the, the castle and it blowing up, shouting at the, you know, whatever. He does a lot of shouting, um, but uh, he's been robbed of that kind of that dramatic voice. Um so, and they're sent, so the hammers are, hammer hands are sent in reduced number. And their, um, mission is to save the survivors of, uh, the asphyxia, asphyxia hinterlands. Um, and there's eight other storm hosts that are sent with, um, and here's where we learn a little bit about the Tempest Lords. Um, so Lord Celsent Victrian Syroco or Kyroco, um, is in charge of the storm, the storm host. Uh, and these guys, They came from the strongest and most just of rulers, and they talk about this um, uh, dynasty that settled in the chas in this like valley or chasm in the Zoroastrian desert. And in order to get anywhere in the desert, the desert you had to go through um, their their place. And they were such known for their hospitality, no matter if you're noble or a, um, you know, a peasant coming through there, you would receive a similar kind of welcome and, and, and an oasis. And, um, when the bloodbound appeared, they took up arms, everybody there took up arms and, um, fought against them and held against them as long as they could. Um, and, uh, you know, and with such valor that Sigmar decided to reforge them all as a single storm host. Um, and so I think if there were any question about like, I you know, you can, I guess, judge on whether that's, you know, women, children, I, I think definitely there's men and women, there's Royal, there's unroyal, you know, uh, well, I guess it says the strongest, most just of rulers. So I guess the I'm thinking the entire Royal family, um, gets, gets reforged into this storm host. Um, and so just kind of a cool, like, you know, a storm host family, I guess. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> um, and there's this saying that I guess, um, when, uh, when they were given their, their powers as storm casts, um, it was said that they were, they are worth 12, uh, blood bound, right. Their power, they're 12 times as strong as any bloodbound. And so, uh, their kind of thing is that they, they have to kill <laughs> 12, uh, blood bound warriors or, or enemies, before they can be reforged, right? So they have to like hit this tally mark before if if they don't, then they're kind of um feel like they've failed, right?
1: Yeah, shameful. know, yep. Go go for the blood reavers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so these guys are yeah, a lot of the little guys. So these guys are that's kind of their thing. So they're protectors of the weak. They are um noble um and you know uh, not corrupted, you know monarchs with money and that sort of thing like very honorable um and uh but have a very you know we talked about in war beast uh with um the silver hands like that same kind of like devotion to sigmar you know uh and and very kind of i guess status driven as well you know mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: um and we have another kind of famous character joining us from the ranks of the Bloodbound. uh and uh, you know, that's Valkia. Valkia is joined uh, in with the, the bloodbound who's uh, in the Ashlands. Um, she's taking corn warriors. Uh, so they, they jump into this the asphyxia. They, they're just like almost like within 10 seconds or a minute. They're, they're into battle. Um, and uh, Valkia is there. And Valkia it's interesting. she's um, looking for corn warriors that are just doing amazing. Um, and uh, uh, or that maybe just before they die and she's taking their souls to power her up um, I don't know if there's a rule in there about that um, in her war scroll uh, uh,
1: not that she, not that I remember she doesn't have anything to that effect but um, yeah she's pretty rad uh,
0: and then she's also going over and if there's heroes in the storm cast she's claiming their hearts she's punching through them fast enough uh, to to grab their hearts I'm assuming before it streaks up to
3: ooh
1: alright yeah
0: uh, and then there's the demons of the Orb Infernia chomping at the bit. They're kind of up there looking down at this battle that's happening on Asphyxia. It's so
1: juicy. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, but there's no way of getting there. Uh, and then uh, there's a while, so there's a, a Demon Prince, um, or, or yeah, Demon Prince Lord Skinskane, who's on Orb Infernia. And he sends a message to Corgus Cole um, to go to, to Asphyxia, where um, the the stormcast have just landed where the bloodbound are fighting where Valkyrie is, and he says if you go there and take one flank, we will take the he and his demons will take the other flank. Now, Corgus uh, does not know that they are on Orbe Infernia or where they're at exactly, um, so that's a, an interesting tidbit for later. Um, then we get to part three of Plague and Fire. So. Cole and his gore tide. so of all the blood the bloodbound, obviously Cole and his gore tide are the most famous. Um, and uh, they go against uh, one flank um, and he sees that, uh, you know, he's expecting these, these skull fiends to go against the other, skin skeins, skull fiends, say that three times fast, <laughs> um, to go against the other and they're, they're not really seeing them. Seems like the the Victorians are faring well. The Hammers of Sigmar not so much. So the Victorians have this like very regimented. So again, a lot like the Silver Hands that we know. Um, and it, yeah, Ionis' booing voice isn't isn't really helping him. You know, he doesn't have that, so he's not really commanding. Um, it seems like he's sitting on some doubt as well, right?
1: Yeah, you figure the whole chamber. I mean, you don't get your entire unit wiped out and think that you have still got your mojo. So it's not not surprising that they're. Uh, himself out going on yeah um, and then this, uh, they start to
0: notice that the sky is filling with flies swarms of flies um, and wherever they whenever they land on mortals um, chaos or order um, and sting they can see kind of sickness starting to to spread across them so the storm casts aren't affected so much but even the corgiras are um, kind of getting infected uh, <laughs> and uh, so you know, Looks like Pop Nurgle's like, hey, I want a little piece of this victory over here. Uh, and maybe even steal it away from, from Um So entered uh, Bloab spawned, And now we haven't met Bloab. We've, um, or had we met Bloab in uh, Garan previously? I know we had uh, Moberdex twice born. Um, and I think we had one of his other brothers, but I don't know that Bloab was, was there.
2: I don't think so. You get an actual—he uh, gets his own two pages, or page and a half, I guess. Yeah. But they actually kind of, you know, tell him his little story and, and how it's different from the end times, what it
1: is in, in the age of Sigmar, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I think he was present, but didn't get didn't get uh, a focus like this huh. by any stretch.
0: Yeah. So he's writing a atop bile Um, and uh, it's, yeah, it says as a kid he tortured insects, or as a. Uh, before he was Nurglefied, he tortured insects and animals. Um, and Nurgle was so upset by his disregard of life that he sent flies to lay eggs in him while he was asleep. And <laughs> when the, they entered the pupa stage, uh, they ate out his innards, and uh, now they live inside of him. So he is completely hollow inside, but for this uh, swarm of flies. Um, but instead of being bitter... Like Torglug, the ungrateful, Um Ablohab bent his aid uh, to Nurgle and uh, gives out lots of hugs and and uh, uh, goes after people. Um, and uh, he's a he's a, a mage as well or a wizard as well. Um, so Bloweb is a key to Nurgle's plan to steal victory from Corn and Archeon's plan to infect the God beast. So it seems like Nurgle's trying to do one thing and almost that Archon's like, yeah, I'll allow it.
1: Yeah. Uh, or, you know, I know how I can turn this to my advantage. Yeah. piggyback back on. Yeah.
0: So, and, and what the, the idea is that the Archon has, and this is one of his, you know, now we all have to realize we're not going to get his whole plan by reading this book. Right. Cause it's bigger than any mortal can imagine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But part A, uh, if he can quell the land a little bit, so by putting Nurgles Rod into it, making it a little less, um, you know, burny, uh, he's stealing some of the power from Ignex, which will allow Archeon uh, to be more able to to capture him. Um, and uh, again, one of those cool photos of Archeon recruiting Bloeb, uh, you know, by appearing in the sky. Now, uh, anybody have any issues with? Uh, with Nurgle coming in and stealing the glory, what do you think? Is this going to work out?
2: No, I like it. Uh, I, I think, so now having read the book and going back through this again, it's making a little bit more sense to me. I was before that, you know, I kind of feel like the first half sort of an intro and then we get into the, the action. But, uh, but I see now how, you know, he's, he's kind of nervous. I feel like in any look at the gods, like Nurgle is so crucial. Like, cause you know, Korin is the strongest, probably will always be the strongest, but, Every warrior needs to you know, have energy and feel good, or they might start sounding like Eric and Coffin all the time and get a bit feverish and fluish. And I mean, even like the strongest of like these crazy beasts starts to feel a bit feverish and you know. Sure. I think in the, in the battalions they, they lose like a wound or they, they're minus one. They're they starting to see effects uh, that these battalions have on your opponent when you're playing the game, and I think that yeah. that's woven very nicely. And you so, like Nurgle. I think his is probably the most important of any of the five i guess we'll say four and a half i got
3: yeah.
2: like because they he has yeah. to start to pacify them a little bit to make it a little bit more malleable that they can do the rest of the stuff
1: not to get too history nerdish but uh historically speaking more casualties in war are the result of disease than they are of actual uh combat fatalities nice. so uh yeah. yeah so it's it's cool that he's present there in that in that degree of fighting take that corn yeah off on you there you so but
0: but Valkia is seeing this um, uh, is seeing this um, kind of plague happening, and so she calls for corn to wipe the sickness clean, and uh, at this point it just tells us that a red spot appears in the sky. Um, who could it be? yeah, at the same time, Ionis is waiting for re- reinforcements from Sigmar. Um, and, uh, you know, through prayer, through just, you know, part of the plan. And, uh, as we're looking up at the sky at this red spot, um, bolts of lightning come slamming down, um, and, uh, the cell prime arrives along with, uh, the hallowed night, some hallowed night
1: prosecutors. Um, and one fellow in particular, right? Oh, or is he not? I don't think he's here yet. Oh, never mind. Yeah. Doot, um,
0: <laughs> there is a Knight Venator with them. Oh yeah, sorry, you're right. I was thinking about the other <laughs> one. Uh, so there is a certain, a Knight of Venator with them. Um, previously, and which, which is cool here is because it's that, you know, like, um, so it is, uh, when, when Bloab looks at him, his witch sight recognizes him as the Garan warrior turned into Torglug the despised, but now reforged anew as Tornus the redeemed. Um, and so Tornus is a, uh, is a knight, uh, Venator. So that's, he's got his own, uh, Star Eagle, uh, mm-hmm. and all that kind of cool stuff. And he goes straight for Blowab. Um, so you got ex Nurgle on Nurgle. It's like, yeah. you're the sickness and I'm the cure, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I know that is what he said when he came out of that. So
1: <laughs> you got the syntax wrong though, though, because he still talks, uh, <laughs> yeah. wagadoo. Like you, you are being the sickness, and I am being the cure. That might be a little more. Sure. Nice, nice. Uh, so um, all of a
0: sudden, so something I didn't mention, I guess, is that as they're fighting the, there are uh, mortals um that are untainted that are fighting the Asphyxians are fighting with the storm cast as well, so they're getting infected, um, as part of this as well. Um, and then all of a sudden, we had mentioned it before, the pyroclasm, this uh, storm of fire and ash, rages through this battlefield, um, and everywhere that it comes uh, in, it just everything falls to ash. It just burns everything up, um, except the asphyxians. They seem to be untouched by it and even revel in it. Um, as they're kind of completing uh, one part of the battle and moving on, Ionis has an exchange uh, with some of the asphyxians and he tells their people to prepare for the summoning and they do this kind of, it seems like he leaves and they do this creepy little, uh, you know, laugh and twiddling of their fingers and uh, <laughs> comment that they'll feast well tonight. Um, so that, uh, it's some interesting, it's one of, in all of these books, you know, as the Stormcaster encountering different humans that have had to deal or mortals that have had to deal with the age of chaos in different ways you know, you just get some really creepy outcomes. Um, And uh, so this is one of them that seems like there might be something more to the story here. Um,
2: Okay, so let me just ask you, you said he tells them to begin the summoning. I I feel like he's telling them to go, like, get ready for the next battle and that they're doing the summoning. Oh, right, right,
0: right. You're right. So Iona says prepare for the next battle and then after which the person he's talking to tells his people, the Asphyxians, to prepare for the summoning um, and that they will feast well tonight. You're right. Um,
2: it's a double crossing, yeah.
0: yeah. And, and in this exchange, they're trying to tell him that there's the, there's a henge uh, up the mountain a little ways we could, you know, it's something that we could use or whatever. And he kind of dismisses it a little bit. Um, and, uh, but you know, they're, they're, you know, I, I think that the humans are these asphyxians. I can't tell whether or not at this point, they're really into the storm cast or not, you know, or, or Sigmar, but they're certainly fighting for their fighting with them. Um. Um. Let's see. So now the Lord Celestin's here, um, with his boomstick, uh, and he's raining down meteors. Um, and
1: oh, the Celestin Prime, right? Yeah, yeah,
0: sorry, Lord the Celestin Prime is uh, running around with his boomstick, and uh, Valkia's red dot turns into a meteor and it crashes down straight into the Victrians, um, and sending whole retinues back to Azir in one go. So. I talk about the light show for sure. Um, yeah. And out of that meteor, who appears, Davy?
1: We get a little Scarbrand action.
0: Man, he's 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 everywhere. I mean, his he is, his yeah. agent has to be yeah. working overtime getting him in all these shows. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, he he was appearing. He appeared in Grand for a little bit. He got uh, uh, or he was he was fighting against some um, uh, lizard men, and he got. Teleported over to Grand for a little bit. He's just back and forth and back and forth. Um, so he appears in the crater and he starts just ripping Victorians apart. Um, the rot flies and plague are just burning away as he comes near. Um, and you know, of course, Lord Victorian, the noble leader he was, challenges Scarbrand. And so um, uh, Lord Victorian is also riding a Drakoth, by the way. Uh, so, mm-hmm. one of those cool guys who got a Drakoth uh, when they got their their um, Lord Celestin hammer. Um, and uh, he comes running by, charging by, and he just tempestuses him straight into the jaw, um, pissing him off pretty good. Uh, and Scarbrand starts chasing him. Uh, and Lord Victorian has a little bit of a, a plan there, and, and he leads him through kind of this wall, the wall of Nurgle, and Scarbrand's just plowing through, uh, you know, all of the. Of Bloab's um, army, um, and then with that, then the Tempest Lords double their attack on the Rotbringers, uh, and so Bloab decides to retreat. And the um, mutation, or the flies, the rot has a little bit of effect. They all grow wings and they fly away. Um, so while that's good for this battle. Um, I think Ionis is worried that they're going to go and affect other parts of the Ashland. So it's not, not all, not all coming up roses, uh, even if they're gross green mucousy roses. Um, so then, uh, Archeon calls Cole and, um, so we're, you know, He's, I, I don't know why now is the right time, but uh, he says, you know, ask Cole to move away from the, this battle. And he wants him to go and attack Orb Infernia. And uh, if he, he'll send him, one of his summoners will create a portal for him and it can go through. And he's like, why, why would I go there? I'm in the middle of a battle. Now the hammer hands are so close. I want, I know, you know, I want to go and beat down every single one of those gold and blue guys. Um, and he tells Archeon um, one, you know, think of the big picture, not not your vendetta. And uh, two, that uh, Skinskane, who the the demon prince who had lured him there without backing him up, as a joke, you know, ha ha, sent you to the battlefield. Yeah. Um, he is on Orb Infernia.
1: right? So the big picture argument not effective on Korg is Cool. <laughs> the revenge argument, I'm with you. Let's go, <laughs> let's go, do some killing.
0: Yeah. So uh so we we he he portal opens up in Corgus Cole and his uh Gortide um skate through there and leave the battlefield, which uh pretty much you know kind of opens the field up. We've got we've lost Blowab, we've lost Corgus Cole and the Gortide, um, and we've just got regular old blood bound hanging around, and we got Scarbrand and uh Valkia. So um, a couple of the major players uh, go away, which is good for our Stormcast. Well, my Stormcast, you know, Davey. <laughs> I know you'd much prefer <laughs> um, And Kenny, you're with me, right? Stormcast, yay? Yeah, for now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> 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 Depends who's got the Urgold, son. <laughs> exactly. So, um, uh, and at this point, uh, Iannis caught sight of the henge that the Asphyxians had mentioned. And he recognized it um he recognized it as a similar to the stone uh found in shaiish um, that could amplify the how I put it the, amplify the magic of the realm.
2: This one goes up to 11, right? That's a game.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah, yep. Uh and so it's um and so um he goes up to the he goes up to the um Runs up to the dais. He goes up uh, around to this henge, and along with him come the the bloodbound. The I don't think it's too far away, so it's you know they're all coming around in the same spot. And he calls the the ash storm, the pyroclast, and within the magics of his reliqui, reliquary and the henge, he's able to kind of like capture it, the, the pyroclast into a like a tornado, and it uh, sucks everybody in the battle up into the air. And, uh, and, uh, that's what we get for this chapter is it just sucks them away from that battlefield. All right. Part four, orb infernia. So this is, uh, once this was a glittering sky kingdom full of artisans and traders. Like this is where, you know, this is like retirement, um, traders with a D trade. Yes. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Not, uh, <laughs> um, and so, to be yeah. So in the age of Ch- chaos, it made it into a demon domain. And Archeon gifted it to four of his most troublesome demons. Like, so it was like, oh gosh, this guy's a headache. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let me give you the Orb Infernia. Uh, <laughs> and he's, uh, he'd sold this timeshare to, f- to three other demons, uh, without the, either any of them knowing it. Um, and so between the four lands, uh, so, you know, this is one of each. Uh, between the four lands was a fifth continent where the God's Eye, which was a um, a realm gate, once stood, but it's been cut off um, by uh, by a slan lord. So there's one slan who's like in all of existence. His job is to keep these demons on this on this right. or inferno,
1: which he does by playing everyone off each other. So you know yep. he managed to if if one side looks like it's gonna unite. Uh, or get strong enough that it could take the whole of Orb Infernia and then maybe be able to get off that thing. And he, he subtly managed to swing the balance the other way with a little surgical strike here or there. Yeah. So and I'll, I'll take I'll, I'll
0: redact what I said as far as soul attention, because it seems like he's got other things that he does. But at this moment, Dracothian kind of shakes the salon uh, and says, hey, the Orb needs you. Um, and so he, he kind of turns his attention back over to Orb Infernia.
1: It's kind of an interesting role that Dracothian plays. We'll see it again a little bit later, but, uh, you know, we're always talking about Sigmar's plan, but Dracothian seems to be, you know, obviously on the same side, but uh, not, if not an independent operator, at least is, is kind of got his own abilities and, and strengths. So spotting places where, you know, trouble might be uh, coming up or figuring out where he can intervene and help. We saw him fight Argentine and here saying, Oh, this Orban Fernian situation might get out of hand. So. Um, knowing the right people to talk to, whether it's intervening directly or, or, you know, doing it on the level that, like we talked about, uh, beyond a single realm, he's able to affect multiple realms.
3: Uh, it's
1: So his foresight,
2: yeah. It's kind of nice to, to have him again. Looking back at the whole book now, uh, I like because like, you know you pretty much have if it's order, everything is very Sigmar centric, and in the, in the Stormcast Eternals are like the big stars of the show. But for the other ones that are order that are not. Stormcast is kind of nice to have somebody else on there. I mean he, he helps the Stormcast too, but it's kinda of, you got in kind of you know rallying everybody else that's not a Stormcast and you know, mm-hmm. saying, Hey, get on stage, the ridge lines. Yeah.
3: yeah.
0: So Archeon has a has a servant up there who's trying to reveal to all the princes that there's a this is a trick. Um and he tries to get them to work together to to trap uh the, the slon and retake the god's eye. Uh, and uh, they finally convinces them all to march towards uh, this center island uh, together to, to retake it. And instead of the princes leading the armies themselves, they send their heralds. But because of chameleon skinks uh, that, who are able to just pop up and assassinate all of the heralds, the demon princes start thinking that somebody is double-crossing them. You know, one of the other gods, you know, the other demon princes is trying to one-up them or get control. Because they're all you know, and um, uh, so they kind of back off and they hide and hide. You know, kind of the princes go and they hide away so that the slan can't find them now that they're exposed a little bit. And uh, uh, and this is when Corgus uh, Cole kind of comes into the space. He warps into the middle of uh Skin-Skane's fortress, starts tearing through demons, uh, and Skinskane Skane comes to fight him. And, uh, they're kind of matching blows until Corgus feigns a slash. And, uh, Skinskane tries to go in with his axe. And he gets cut across his face with, uh, Korgus's, like, reality tearing.
1: Reality splitting axe. <laughs> Roll the five up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and he gets, uh, Skinskane gets sucked into, uh, the void. And, uh, all of the demons, uh, or at least Skinskane's, the corn demons, uh, rally to him. And,
1: yeah, Skin Skin gets like turned mortal here, doesn't he? Like all of a sudden loses because uh, it it works slightly different on him, so mm-hmm. he gets sucked down to mortal. And he's like, "Oh, J.K. Like <laughs> now I'm now I'm really on your side." Yep. There's no no talking to Corgis when he's when he gets that no, way. he's not a forgiving type. Um,
0: and then um, so they they go and they march um on back on he, he rallies all the other demon princes marches them all back um with his force with the gore you know added to them um get you know take some heavy blows um uh, the slan pulls down one of his uh you know champions of old uh who's you know makes a good stand but corgus uh and the demon princes kind of beat him down and then corgus's axe flies through the air and kills the slon dead in his, in his place and the God's eye reappears. Um, and they're, uh, ready to teleport all of those, uh, demons down to the, field. yeah.
1: Now this, yeah, this world ending force of <laughs> demons that, uh, was stuck up there is now able to get down to the Ashland. So yeah, it's problem time. We were looking good for a little bit. We got, uh, we got the field cleared of blowab and corgus and all that, but, uh,
0: now they're back. It's looking,
1: looking bad again. Yeah.
0: So we jump back down, and uh, Cryptoborn and everybody he's transported through the power of the, the henge and uh, with the um, Byroclast get teleported over to the unreachable mountain. Uh, and it, it, as they kind of land, uh, the Tempest gets inhaled up into the Flame Heart, uh, which I, I need to look. Is that Ignax, or is that different than Ignax? Uh, it's different. Different. Okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, so this, this conscious being gets sucked up, uh, into the, this other flame and, and kind of gets taken and Scarbrand is just even more, uh, upset. Um, a little, a little, a little beef. He's got a beef with Ionis. Um, so Ionis and the Victorian are exchanging words because I, you know, it seems as if, um, there's something that reveals that Ionis was kind of working with Valkia to get Scarbrand here to wipe away. Like Valkia and Ionis both wanted uh, Blowab gone, you know. So, uh, right. and Ionis is just burning. He's just like, "Are you, you know, are you kidding me?" And he dismounts and he runs over to Ionus. Ionus just clocks him in the face and knocks him out. Yeah. <laughs> just, I mean, this is this is a man of Sigmar, and he's just coming over here and uh, beaten face. Uh, it,
1: it's funny because it seems, you know, it's, uh, I always think of Ionis and the Lord relic, is a little more reserved, but here he just, you know, yeah. hauls off and punches a dude. Yeah. So
0: he's just, he got, he's got to go see counseling uh, after this. <laughs> um, it's like one of those buddy cop movies where right. he's got to go sit with the therapist for a little bit and it's, it's mandatory. <laughs> otherwise he can't go back out in the field.
1: Got to turn in your badge and you gotta <laughs> uh, hammer
0: in your reliquary. So he drags a uh, victory in. Uh, up the mountain, uh, and he leads his retributors up to the very, uh, t- tip of the mountain. And, uh, the retributors just start smashing the ground and sending ripples and shaking. Um, and you're like, what's, what's going on? What are you trying to do? And just as Scarbrand uh, breaks their line or comes up to their line, the final smash and the, the, uh, peak of the mountain crumbles. Um, and, uh, an avalanche um, uh, pours down the mountain. Now um, it says that most of the like blood bound that are there, you know, lightly armored live able to jump out of the way uh, storm Not so much uh, storm casts are just getting toppled by the rocks. Uh, so a very costly move by Ionis, mm-hmm. uh, which yeah. was interesting. Um, so yeah, storm are, are Getting deleted by these uh, this avalanche, and Scarren gets carried down the mountain. Um, and he's just—I mean, obviously, he's even more pissed, right? He's—he's he's at least at twelve, right, at this point. Uh, I mean, no, we, yeah, eleven's funny because we say it, but twelve is serious.
2: You know, <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, actually, I'm, I'm kind of seeing this as like a—he's like, like a Tasmanian devil. Like if this was like a Looney Tunes thing, just <laughs> spinning around, getting more. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, I thinking about like, I can now kind of put the whole Godbeast book through like a Looney Tunes template, I think, and still make it work. Yeah, <laughs>
0: you <know>? it's it's <laughs> tropes, right? They're just using tropes, <laughs> right. Looney Tunes tropes. Um, but uh, so he's he's pissed, and he's falling down, and he drops into this this henge. Uh, you know, Davey, you were talking a little bit about you know long shot, like you know right he's yeah. good at golf too <laughs> um he falls into this henge and because he's just amped um the henge is amplifying him it's like it's and it's it's on a um a feedback loop almost and it shatters
1: yeah, made of that resonating stone right uh, that we talked about so it amplifies yep. whatever so
0: they call it the blood quartz henge uh and so this quartz and it, i think I also was saying that in shyish it's a, it does a different thing with or reacts to a different kind of, um, uh, thing. Now in the summer of war, they talk about the, um, what do they call it? realm stones? Uh,
1: well, realm stones
0: yeah. So they talk about this resource of pure, uh, energy of, of magic uh-huh. energy. So I don't know if this stuff is that or it's similar. Um, so it's interesting. um, but he, he falls into the middle of it. Uh, he is um, just like feedback loop. The stones, the crystals explode and uh, you know shatter into him, and he's like basically banished. He like turns into just pure energy and blasts away. For, you know from the um, the center of this henge, the closest blood bound, their heads explode. Mm-hmm. The next closest turn on each other, no matter like they just turn to their brother and start you know killing each other uh and it says if the storm cast you know either the ones that you know the ones that are still alive weren't trapped in this avalanche, they would have been fighting each other too um, just the the rage that it induced um, but it empowers uh all of the humans that are further away well you know with the blood bound in this this fugue, uh the humans are able to uh, rise up against them. Um, uh, and, uh, as Iones is standing on top of the peak, you know, gloating over his, uh, par,
1: um, yeah, it says he, well, you say gloating, but he like size, really, this is more than par, man. And, like this is <laughs> right, right. It's whole, like a hole in one on the next hole over or something. <laughs> I don't know.
0: He got into this hole, bounced off and went to the other hole. Yeah. Uh, I don't golf.
1: So
3: my metaphors are
1: not sure. Gonna...
0: You know, whatever <laughs> <laughs> we don't sports. So. Uh, and uh as he's doing that, a S- spear slams into his chest. Um and uh Ionis is reforged. And, and then Victrian uh, uh Lord Selson Victrian regains consciousness and uh and is like, What the hell happened? Uh and uh frees the remaining Stormcast there. Um wow, that's I mean it's that was pretty crazy uh, part of the story for sure.
1: Yeah, just on this, you know, we've talked about it a little bit. The, I, I'm cool. that The plan seemed like a lot of... Lot, like, managed to get teleported up here. Managed to, you know, break the mountain off right at the right time. Managed to somehow, you know, break the mountain in such a way that it surfs uh, Scarbrand right into this thing. And then amplifies his, uh, his rage just enough that it hurts the bad guys, helps the good guys. Like, there was a lot of, like, you know, fraction of a percent... When it, when it all comes down to it, it seemed, it seemed a little, uh, low probability things strung together. Uh, um, or I guess more, more dependent on luck than, uh, than seems, I, would, I don't know, characteristic, but
0: I'd probably counter with the idea of really good recruiting. Uh, <laughs> when you've got the A team, when you were able to recruit all the A players, uh, onto your, mm-hmm. your storm host, um, you get people who make things happen. You know, they're, they, they really go, go out and make it happen. Right yeah all right no no, but you know it's it it is i mean like yeah all of all of these things like the in the age of sigmar in general like everything has to be big right yeah um we've 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 heard the war stories where people just smash a lot of guys right it's one of those things where you have to keep elevating the casualties or elevating like the how it's like um what is it the um you ever seen the the youtube channel where the guys you know make the basketball you know they behind their back and then it's off off something and into there and then it's from like 100 feet away and then it's they have to from the top of a building and it bounces down and it bounces off something and into the hoop like you got to keep escalating right uh and which makes it a little less believable but this is ionis right
1: actually a good point about ionis now he's getting reforged again he's been through the ringer a few times he got uh smacked in Shaman and then actually probably twice because once trying to get Galmaraz, he got, uh, axed in the head and, yep. uh, and then on, uh, Mount Cronus there may have been another time in there as well. So he's already seeing the effects. would be interesting. Yeah. If he goes through it again, where, where does that leave him?
0: Yeah, no, that'll be, it's interesting because it affects everyone different. And so mm-hmm. it, it's its own plot device, you know, built into, mm-hmm. which is cool. All right. Um, the Toroi archipelago part, f- part six. Um, now here's a little, this is interesting. It's a, it's a sidestep. It's a, we, f- uh, meet Lord Celestent and Senio. Uh, he's a tempest Lord as as well. And they're fighting, uh, through bull gores and they found, uh, in doing so, they found some hill people hiding in caves too small for the bulls to enter. Um, and, <laughs> I find that funny get a kick out of that yeah
2: <laughs> it's like everything is just so yeah amped up and, and high high epic fantasy and it's just kind of funny that like we finally get Bulgar- it could be spin that are not just fodder it's kind of, <laughs> book do okay but
3: yeah. and I'm, you know I'm going
2: to do a, a Bulgur army is my next thing too so I'm kind of nice, special nice. into this but, but yeah it's like, just kind of nice that they, they got up and they're like how do we get rid of these guys how can we possibly escape them I'm like oh they can't <laughs> We'll, yeah. we'll make
0: sure all your they, terrain they, has bulgore-shaped doors.
1: <laughs> they just didn't hire themselves any ungores to you know, root <laughs> anybody out. Yeah. But uh, just on a, a side, one cool thing about these guys, in the back they do have a battalion war scroll, um, which specifically gives these guys the keyword corn. Um, so it, it's a neat – I really like that kind of war scroll. It's a real small tweak but very characterful. Yeah. Um, and uh who know like I I haven't looked into like tried to combo wombo combo up some crazy thing using the corn keyword. I know there's plenty of stuff that does. Yeah. But just uh just for pure character, uh, I, I like that uh idea. That's a that's a good use of Italians, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. No, definitely you can add a little flavor, a little story to it by adding a rule uh that you don't have to put it in the stock book
1: uh, or in the belt. So, mm-hmm.
0: Um so what they they come to find what lord and Sinio incinio realizes that his battle there isn't so much um for you know untainted you know tainted humans and other like there's just it's just bulgors or just beasts um the humans there aren't something to worry about except that they're just crushed in spirit um and one of the things the tempest lords are really good at is as rousing speeches um and uh you know one of the the things they start talking about to, to try to rouse these these humans back into kind of willingness to fight is talk of a last stand. If we do this one last thing, you know, we'll we'll win the war, or we'll you know see hope again. And yeah. so, from the caves come the Candlemen, and
1: which I really like this name. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was cool. You know, I remember when rumors of this book were floating around, and somebody mentioned Candlemen, and I was thinking like, oh man, I hope it's this. Deal where they, you know they're that little spark, that little flame in the darkness, uh, that's holding out you know through the age of cast. I thought it was a um, conveys a lot of the character of these guys just just through the name. Yeah,
0: and so it's kind of and that's what it is at first they had you know all the faith in Sigmar that he would come back, and so they had these huge fires that they'd had to to kind of uh, provide you know reside over and make sure that they stayed lit, and it's receded back down to candles in caves kind of thing, but but they're still there. Um, and this, these are flagellants and war priests. Um, and you know, as I'm working on, you know, many people out there probably working on their devoted army and excited for when uh, devoted get a little boost in some new models maybe, or, or, uh, a battle tome. Um, but, uh, the, they quickly pick up the hymns of the Tempest Lord, the battle hymns. Um, they are led by arch lector, Yekob Veltarin. Um, and, um, after they convince them to, to join him, he's riding to war in a war or riding to battle in a war altar. and they they do it intentionally to lure out the bulgors to come get them, um, and uh, battle ensues and a victory seems close, and uh, uh, some there's more than bulgors here. There's some gorgons uh, that want to come and fight and play, um, and so they kind of turn the tide for a little bit, and then uh, there's a sky splitting boom and uh, a red streak um splays across the sky and it's this this rage wave of scarbrand sweeping over this location as well so it's you know sweeping across the entire um you know ashlands and uh does a similar thing the 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 bulgars are already worked up it's such a rage that this wave then is just too much for them to to handle and it explodes their heads uh so, it's, like, it's, like you do
2: Tunes like, uh, like thing, so I'm thinking like this shattering kaboom. Just
0: <laughs> <laughs> so if you model a couple of head exploded bulgors uh, Kenny, you get extra points?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't We don't have sideborgs. Hey, this is reflected too, though, in the, in the battalions because they both have specific hatred, like a, a mechanic built in to attack each other.
1: Yeah, again, great use of battalions, uh for character, you know, character rather than, than power necessarily. So that'd be cool. I wonder if there's anyone out there uh they did the they did their devoted up as as the candleman and their buddy did a, a war herd of the uh Talroy, Yeah, yeah um, minotaurs. That'd be cool.
0: Well if not specifically, Kenny, once you get those Bulgars up, I'll bring my uh Oh yeah. My uh devoted up, up against them.
1: I used
2: The Great Chains, The Garden is The Great Chains, one over the weekend. And then I read the book, and I'm like, oh, I guess this, I, I, maybe it doesn't make as much sense if you're not using the books. <laughs> it's just like, I had to make a little narrative like you know, twist to it at the end. Like, oh, yeah, sure. yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> it was a narrative game. It worked anyway.
0: Yeah. yeah, it always works. Um, and so uh, they, they win that war or that little battle because uh, the Bulgars are gone. Um, luckily enough, um, you don't eat cow head that much and all the rest is probably pretty good um, so part 7 land of the chained sun so over the next years the bray herds of the tory archipelago would become extinct so now it's interesting because there's some this one I think is just a one off where it says hey if you look a few years down the road mm-hmm. you know they're extinct but it also gives you some hope that you know whatever happens here that this place is probably better off you know there's some victories happening but then it just talks about there's still some time things, and it says in a month, in months the bloodbound were weakened and stormcast were able to secure more or most of asphyxia. So we've accelerated time a little bit.
1: Yeah, and this is this is the first that I have seen that we've we've really done that. You know, a lot of these campaigns have felt like bam, 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 going. You know, over in the course of a handful of days, or like the crucial events are happening in a relatively small time frame. And this. Uh I again I like it and I I th- was trying to figure out why and I think it's because you have these real epic landscapes so why not have sort of an epic time span yep. on it as well. So. Yeah,
0: that it, it's not Archeon unfolding his plan too over a weekend uh right. but you know it's over months, you know, it's he's yeah, it kind of makes him more cool as well or cooler. Um so uh and then many of the tribes then are that were again hiding in caves or beaten down a lot more of them have, are rising up uh, against chaos um, Ignax flame uh, is burning brighter and the fire magic surged out um, is surging out uh, but then it, it calms back down so there it seems like there's some fluctuation in that so Arcans waiting for it to kind of dim down a little bit uh, and Arcan does judge that when the time is right you know to, to go in now um, uh, I think Kenny. I mean, you, you're you're Fire Slayer. Tell us about what are these rune things. I mean, we've been talking tons about magic, but what are these rune things? What do they do?
2: What these rune things?
0: Yeah. What what are runes? I, I don't I don't understand it.
2: Well, I think in the context of Age like of like the Fire Slayers have, um, you know, runic magic before where where they don't have like spells, uh, but they channel magic through like this physical manifestation, and they put that empowering you know symbol into something. With the fire Slayers, it's a little bit different because you're actually using like ergol, and so it's like instead of just like magic, this like kind of invisible substance, you're actually taking kind of like ergol itself, which I think is kind of this wacky shimmer dust. Um,
1: I, I don't know. It. They it kind of they theorize that it's the essence of, of uh, Grimnir, right? When his form was broken in the in the battle with Volcatrix, uh, yeah, yeah or Salamander.
2: We we try yeah. to kind of like when we play games, we have a little bit of. Um, Maybe some kind of narrative interaction or, or kind of a maybe dramatic recreation so I don't know if some of the stuff is like kind of like a cocaine almost in a way. like they're like they're storing <laughs> substances and so I take it like my second <laughs> master and put some like shimmer dust on his beard to kind of <laughs> to <laughs> the problems because it's I mean it's one thing to so say yeah okay it's the essence of his god but if you can play with it a little bit and I like in some of the different stories and, and battle tomes it's just viewed differently enough that you can kind of see it be believable. Instead of it's just a magical thing we can't see. So I think that they kind of give it some character. But yeah, so they, they forge these runes. And it's kind of nice about this book is that you, you go beyond the battle tome and you talk about like big grand things from when Grugney uh, was around because he forged these chains that are binding. Uh, oh, I said Um uh, Ignix, like the sun up there, there's these chains. And then, of course, there's something that comes up in the in specific storyline here that's uh, yeah. done by a rune spider. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so they have to, they have this, it's a wizards, they have this much more, um, it's very much elemental magic, which I think works in this instance because it's pretty important and it's literally binding the earth and, uh, and the the big thing, the, kind of the big rune, you know, actually controlling like a sentient landscape, which we have right here very much in this.
0: Yeah. So around the Crescent Island are shield runes that have protected the island from the magic of the Gaunt Summoners. So Archeon can't just you know, kind of whisk it away or do some, you know, pull it into another realm or anything. Um, you know, the Island, the Ignax is chained to is protected. Um, so to break them, he's, uh, Arcan sends the Varying guard, uh, to root out the fire, fly- fire slayers. Um, and they, they just come in and they, you know, sorry, Kenny, uh, you can cover your ears up for this part, but they just start decimating fire slayers. Uh, <laughs> they, now they do hold out longer than expected is what it says. Uh, And, uh, you know, some of uh, one lodge in particular, the Ostarg lodge, escapes and is able to burrow, um, to Lodestone Peak. And this is a magnetic mountain. Uh, and because they're lightly clad and gold is not metallic, um, you know, they whisk about, you know, whisk through it no problem. But as the Varenguard get there, um, their heavy armor is like pinned down and, um, you know, makes it hard for impossible or hard for them to, to,
3: um,
0: to follow. Yeah.
2: I think it's like 10,000 brand or something. So it, it's, it's forgivable that the fire slayers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't, uh, you know, uh, just send a few and think that it, he didn't underestimate the fire slayers. Um, uh, oh, and, <laughs> and, uh, so, and then the, they're able to escape the fire slayers are able to escape through a rune portal, uh, to the Island of the chain sun where they're re- reunited with the Vostarg large there. Um, and so this is where uh, the um, of the fire slayers. Um, this is a, a rune smiter, I believe, right? Doric claim blade. Yeah, that's so. him. Uh, he's <laughs> 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 like, yeah, I know the guy.
2: <laughs> yeah, he sits two stools down at the party. <laughs> <laughs> Go way back, Norm Doric, Right, right. Uh,
0: and so he's uh, he gets they get kind of the safety of the Crescent Isles then, and uh, uh, he starts um, thinking upon the Auric, Oriak. Um, right, Yeah. I think it's
2: like the Auric, the whole gold or thing. I think that's the, the rip. Like, these crazy Brits. They're so clever. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, we didn't even get into the names of some of the stuff on the Tarai archipelago. <laughs>
2: well, sexy. I'm kind of the one that I still so get. Now that you're like, you're going back through this and, and reading these things out loud. I'm like, Oh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and so it's this father rune of binding. And so I've, I guess it seems like it's this, like, elemental or before time or some sort of, like, you know, first rune kind of feel to it.
2: You know, it's funny. I, I, went, I took my own notes for this. I wrote, in parentheses, master, like, just kind of unconsciously, and I was thinking that's kind of the, the callback to what it was in, in fantasy, mm-hmm. master runes. Yeah, master runes. only one could exist, and it, that's kind of, like, usually it was rooted in ancestry with one of the gods. So okay. that's kind of what you have here. Like, this, this was a by Grubby himself and made these chains.
0: Yeah. Now it says, though, in secret, he was perfecting the rune of unbinding. Uh, and it says he had wrought those in Ignax's chains. Um, what? How did you guys feel about that? What was the... I'm not... I'm a little unclear on how I should feel about Mr. Plainblade.
2: <laughs> uh, I had to go back through it a few times, actually, to kind of, like, say, wait a minute, what did I just read here? So I, th- I think you have to read the rest of this tiny chapter, but I feel like he's doing something and he, he doesn't feel like maybe that it'd be understood or he's trying to cover a mistake uh, or maybe, maybe they won't trust that his scheme will work, but it's weird to have this kind of secret. And the only thing I think of here is an opportunity for uh, maybe a short story, uh, like in a collection for the black library or something, because it does feel like there's something very much missing here. I, I feel a little bit better reading the, the next few pages, but I still feel like something is missing here
3: yeah
0: so because what happens is he he rots them on those chains and as scarbrand's uh, wave of rage comes through the the crescent isle ignax is bucks and he breaks the two chains that the that unbinding rune was was on um and so you're thinking uh, why would he want ignax to be more free. Like, why would he want those chains to be broken? Um, and the, but the, the chains come down and they just gouge the earth and turn, you know, uh, create canyons. Um, so it's just that, this interesting thing. And, and, uh, so yeah, well, as we're going on, hopefully we, it resolves, right?
2: Yeah. I am thinking thinking that maybe he, he saw something that he realized it caused like extreme measures need to be taken. And if he tried to explain this plan, it wouldn't work out so well. So right. he, 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 I, I can see like a strong cast, like a Lord Celester, you know, or a Lord Relictor doing something like that.
0: Yeah. Of course, they get pimp slap,
2: and he didn't. Get pimp
0: <laughs> yeah, I almost gets away with it.
2: Yeah, there's definitely, there's def- I feel like a short story in here somewhere that just yeah. begging to be uh, composed.
0: Absolutely. Um, so finally, millions of Fireslayers uh, stand against Archeon, uh, and twenty Stormhosts are sent to help them, including uh, a Dracothian guard um uh the vanguard start pushing uh fires and, fire slayers and stormcasting back um, the demons from Orban furnia um, just start flooding in um, and uh, dracothian uh seems to intervene here then as well
2: and this is a rumble the brux kind of thing going on.
0: <laughs> so he comes down and smashes their line and vanquishes uh you know the demons and so uh, you know, there's much more in here. You know, not, not much more, but there's a bit more in here about that. But just like that back and forth of you know, just epic wave after epic wave, and then tons getting smashed, et cetera. Uh, but then, yeah. but then Archeon joins in, and then Star Drakes join in, uh, and then we talked uh, um, when there's a there's a moment where they're looking at um, one of the lodges, and there are. Um, um, what are the what are the rune sons right the sons on so, uh, the magma yeah yeah so there's there's uh, Volgorov, Bor- Borson mm-hmm. and his brothers he's got uh, f- uh, three brothers or four brothers <laughs> um, and they volunteered to ascend the chains on their um, oh man I'm just losing magma Droths. magma Droths. so big dragon cats. Um,
2: well, you know, the Stormcast brought toy poodles, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's great things, nothing else.
0: <laughs> and so they they uh, decide to ascend. Um, and four Dewarden armies march into battle, and the chains begin, they start tightening. They start reeling in Ignex on the chains, and he's getting closer and closer. And they it says they actually catch Arcanon off guard, that they're kind of retreating, and, and kind of stuff caught him off guard a little bit. Uh, yeah, he didn't.
1: He didn't recognize what they were. You know, they they bolted for the chains, and he wasn't recognizing what what uh, what their play was here. And yes, so,
2: um, you know, self destruct basically.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. And I wonder if breaking the other chains would have made that happen. Like, so
2: I think so because there's four. So when you were going through the, the actual layout of the landscape at this point, then I realized going back to that picture that okay, so there's four chains from the chain sun that's going up to ignite, but there's two below that attaching yeah. to the rest of the realm so i think those are like what broke and then they're trying to work out the other four yeah that's yeah. yeah. race to um so
0: to next. with two chains like in a in just physics it'd be easier to pull ignex closer to the ground with only two chains two chains holding them uh probably um so that's probably yeah we'll say that that's what uh claim blade had in mind and we'll say yeah he's good he's good nice job guy <laughs> yeah uh, uh,
1: i just wanted to make sure we didn't gloss over this you did mention that the uh uh, Drake's Sworn Templars arrived. Yeah. The, uh, the, the three, uh, Star Drakes. And, uh, they tried to, they try to three on one Archaeon. And he goes boom, 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 knocks them all out. He's, uh, see the Dorgar tore the first Star Drake from the skies in a welter of blood. The second swooped to pluck Archaon from his saddle, but the ever chosen swung aside and slipped the celestial beast from belly to tail. And the third was simply shorn in two. <laughs> was like, whoa, what? So what I loved about it was, and we've talked about this before, like keeping the stakes high, like making your, making your big bad actually be a big bad, you know? And I think they've done a good job of that. Like our a planner. He's got these complex plans. He's got, he's a, he's a personnel guy, right? He figured out Fernia. <laughs> uh, and then he's, he's a fighter. Like he goes out there and, and just, uh, badasses, the, uh, the combat too. So I've I, I always appreciate when, when you got something to worry about with from the, the big bad guy yeah. makes him Makes him feel worth uh, fighting against. Yeah. yeah, this is like a proper end times
2: battle from the, the end of fantasy. Like it's just it, it's epic all around, but it, there's just so much happening and there's like all lot at stake.
3: Yeah.
2: yeah, this this is one, I mean, not not just because it's Fire Slayers, but this one felt like more just very epic. And um, I, 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 this is where I really started to get into the book.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. And and one of the things that we've had the benefit of of uh, with the Black Library novels is getting into some of the details and character development. So we don't get as much of that here. So it feels a little bit like, Oh, and then they throw this in and then we throw this in and then we throw this in. But I think it still works when you just kind of like sit back and let it happen and, and enjoy it um, for what it is. And I think, you know, it's that big arching. But let's tell you what happened. You know, this is like the, it would almost be like the fireside tail kind of thing. Right. Um, so it's kind of cool. Um, so they start cranking uh, Ignax down they catch Archeon off guard. The rune Sons are climbing, and uh, you know, some of them get, get swiped off. Volgrov makes it to Ignex and places the rune on him just before he's consumed by the fire of Ignex. Tagger. Well, and he has the rune around his neck, and it's able to protect him from the fire of Ignex. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as soon as he gets it in place, he no longer has that protection, uh, and it it just burns him up.
2: Yeah, the Fire slayer are the only people that can like physically take this much heat yeah. uh, and being this close. And, and you see that like, the sun start to burn away. The Megadrosser, of course, they're okay until the end, but the, they're just the skeletons on top of them. <laughs> Those yeah. Of skeletons. Yeah. gets as far as he can and, and does the deed, and then it's the end of it. So I think that was a pretty good ending for him.
0: Yeah. No, that's a very noble way to go, right? Uh, yeah. Father would be proud. Uh, <laughs> and as Ignax reaches the ground, it burns and splinters, and only the and moving underground were safe. Um, so, uh, and then yeah, there's another uh, picture of Arcan swooping to Ignax. Um, Slayer of Kings is driven into his temple, and he's captured for chaos. And Ignax and Arcan fly off, unaware of the rune that was struck upon uh, her flank.
3: Yeah,
2: everything's like the sonic boom. Sort of everything is gone, and the Fire Slayers retreat. But you think of how
1: much was involved in this battle. Just you know, even a half a page ago. Yeah. Yeah. Everything is just, I, yeah. And one thing that, especially with this picture here, but also with that map and they just did a great job with the art of sort of conveying the, just the huge scope and scale of everything, like really, really made it feel epic. Like it was a, it was an enjoyable part of the book for me is really kind of pulled me back into the, the writing was uh just seeing that captured in image, you know,
2: Kind of figured, like with the strong pass, I don't know what it would look like, and like I don't know what it looks like when Sigmar, You hear some depictions in some of the stories, even one of the audios, where he's he's making reforging. But I kind of figure at this point, like maybe like one of those automatic baseball pitching machines or something. Just helping them out
0: because it's like <laughs> going
2: through uh, like a little turnstile, you know, and like back out again, back out again. Yeah, because they're just dying so fast.
0: Grungy needs to up his technology.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, it's got the damn rotating color wheel, like still on the screen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, Archeon has Ignax. Part, you know, this part of his plan successful. As much as uh, Stormcast and the Dwarden, the Fire Slayers uh, tried to keep him from it. The the devoted, he he managed to take Ignax. Um, yeah. Minor victory, right? Uh, with the the getting the rune on him on ignex um so part 8 the scabrous sprawl so now we have moved from axci to gram um and the scabrous sprawl was formerly the harmonious velt uh and currently it is lit by a glow of millions of of parasites um so uh, thinking uh, lightning bugs mixed with uh, fleas or something um, and above the sprawl uh, hangs the great green torque uh, and I was like oh, well the torque and it said it's a torque shaped realm I'm like well, what's a torque and so I looked it up and it's uh, it's a necklace it's it's well so it's a the shape is where you have kind of two heads that r- come around in a ring and then they face each other and they're usually identical and Uh, reading a little bit is it it was often a a necklace or something that would, uh, either, you know, people of great wealth would have them and they'd be, you know, real elegant and, and beautiful, but they would, you know, they're not easy to take on and off. Sometimes they'd be permanent. Um, so just kind of that kind of background. Um, and, uh, this, uh, torque shaped realm floating above, uh, was reachable, uh, by the grand umbilicus realm gate slash stairway. Um, and I think we'll all agree, by right, its inhabitants, <laughs> that we're dealing with a beanstalk. Am I right? <laughs>
2: right.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> because the inhabitants of this land, forever and always, have been gargants.
1: Yeah. All oh,
0: right. I <laughs> gotcha. Uh, and interesting that histo- you know—prior to the realm of uh, the age of chaos, the gargants were the um, kind of tenders of the seasons. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we've seen the, um, previously we'd had the, what are those called? The big mountain guys. Um, the,
2: like the ones that bring white.
0: Yeah. Uh, Jotunbergs. Jotunbergs. You know, so this idea that, you know, there was a, these Jotenbergs for each of the seasons and these, these, you know, these gargants were a part of that kind of cycle. Um, so in exchange for tending the seasons, they're imbued with elemental strength, and they would hunt war beasts, and they brew strong ales, uh you know let's all raise our glass to that um, and they would nap in the mid midday and settle their disputes with a a little thumping um, but then Nurgle came and visited the Velt. and a beast man brought war to the gargants and uh and on the sprawl and on the torque, they fought off the the beastmen for years, uh, but then they were forced into hiding. Um now a part of um the also the invasion was the skryer skaven um and uh, you know in f- this is we we mentioned this briefly but they would they they created these amazingly gigantic walking cities um called parasite engines uh and they uh ran on warpstone furnaces and had mandibles and appendages that would just pull the life force from the land, and it it mentions two of them. Uh, one was Drill Stabber, which has this huge like drill the the size of a oak tree, a great oak. Uh, it's a you know sticking out of its face, and it would just drill and and suck out the life force. Um, and this was um, uh, Arch um, not Arch Warlock Arch uh, Warlock Engineer uh, Warp Screech, and then there's the Scrabble Chewer which is uh, the, the um, Warlock uh, Vile Skrit. And this one has mechanical jaws that eats bedrock. So these are amazingly cool. Like, again, talking about epic, like they just throw you into these, you know, you got Gargants and you got, uh, you know, Walking City Parasite Engines.
1: Well, when, you, when you go through this, like you
2: see the pictures in the beginning and I see this uh, big mechanical insect like, like what the hell is that? Like, it's an insecticon? Like, what <laughs> <laughs> you read it like there It says they're a mix of of a uh, giant rats and mosquitoes put together. It's yeah. so, like, again, it, it's kind of cartoony, but it's fun. But it, it fits when you when you read it. It's just sort of like immediately stunning when you see this picture. Yeah. Art, art, what, what?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, in the in the artist it's often associated with the Warhammer and uh, in the latest in the newest uh, white dwarf, uh, the Blanchezu. You know, you, these things fit right in line with that art style of just Absolutely, super yeah. dirty, super yeah. scraggly lines and just horrific-looking uh, things. And um, yeah, I mean, you, I think done right, these things are. Uh, yeah, th- on one hand, the concept is super cartoony, uh, but then you see some of these applications of the the drawings, and it's just it's just crazy. Um, and uh, the the warp screech uh, the captain of the drill stabber, I guess, um, sees the storm coming and he feels he needs to act quickly. And he knows that other of his kin can see that this storm is coming and they're going to act as well. And here comes Archeon saying, Hey, go do this for me. Um, and, uh, uh, the storm casts here are led by Lord Celestant Farakis, uh, the uncompromising, uh, uh, the most unforgiving and merciless of the Knights Excelsior. So,
1: yeah, he's got his little backstory. You know, he, he used to be actually a, a merciful priest, and then um, betrayal and such took him down uh, before he was pulled up for reforging. So he's he's come back with an attitude. Nice.
2: Since you guys know your strong cast, I and mean, look at his picture on one fifty nine. Does he? Does that uh, dragon? Kind of motif in his, he- his top of his helmet. Is that normal? Because that seems like a really cool like add-on to this guy, and maybe like conversion potential for an army. But I don't know if I've seen that before in a close-up.
1: Uh, I have not. I think there might be another guy later that looks a little bit similar. But um, yeah, that, I, I remember thinking the same thing. Like I had to do a double take at it because something. I was like, ah, something seems different there, and yeah, you know, figured out it was exactly like you're saying. It's the dragon, the sculpted dragon motif on there. <laughs> yeah, so the. Oh no, it's a dragon. <laughs> so the the Lord
0: Sultant on uh, Drakoth that comes from the starter kit has a lion motif. Um, the ones that you can build from the Drakoth, Drakothian Guard, you can build a Lord Sultant, and it's more of the dragon theme there. Oh, I think this cool. might be what you're seeing. Um, so, um, and so we, you know, everyone's, you know, we've had Gargants here, uh, we've got Skaven here with their parasite engines. And uh, the stormcast are have been sent here. Some some celestial, sorry, knights excelsior, um, with a new. We're just they're just name dropping Lord Celestine here. Um It's yeah. it's, it's uh, fast and furious. Um, Absolutely. And uh, that brings us to part nine.
1: Then we head into the harsh awakening. If the previous chapter sort of set the stage of here's where we're looking at in Giran, and this is telling us here's what the war is looking like. And it leads off telling us that this war has been going on for years. So we already talked about how the time frame on these things has been drawn out, extended. Like this is a big, punishing, awful long campaign. Uh, they'll inflict huge casualties on the Skaven, but generations have and Skaven are a short lived race anyway, but generations after generations are, are pouring out. They talk about the breeding decks of the parasite engines, oh, which so is a pretty gnarly <laughs> deck to have on your, uh, uh, land ship, well there's
0: but. a in the fire slavers um legends book um there's a story in there where they have to retake um they've been traveling forever and they get to this lodge mm-hmm. get turned away but if they can kind of route this one um mountain of the skaven they can have that as their new home and that's basically what it is down below is this big like breeding like um a nest and mm-hmm. this just oh man this just takes and amplifies that like a breeding deck like
1: oh gross <laughs> <laughs> Um, and on the other side there you have warrior chambers that are wiped out reforged and sent back in and that's not an instantaneous thing we've seen some people do it quick like uh, I think Ionis turned and turned and burned pretty quick because he was, <laughs> was his death has little hold over me you know as a lord relictor. but uh, yeah it's this is a this is a grueling campaign. Let there be no doubt. And uh, in the process, it talks about. Uh, and I like this as a nod. I've been listening to some uh, some history lately. Uh, the last hundred days, and it uh, talks about these competing rivalries between generals on on both sides. And here you have the officers of the Celestial Vindicators at odds with uh, Fericus, the uh, Knights Excelsior fellow, the the mer- most merciless one. Where he he led uh, or he, he directed this direct assault on one of these the uh, walking uh, parasite engines, and they managed to overcome it, but at huge cost, they lost uh, several Thunderstrike brotherhoods and or Thunderhead brotherhoods, and uh, the officers of the Celestial Vindicators are you know bitter about the, the way they were given up. So yeah. uh, the objectives of this fight, right? Uh, so they're not just fighting each other. They, they're they're looking after, they're trying to find these geomantic nodes. And right away, we're not sure what those are, uh, why they're important. So they, I wonder, we could-
0: is it similar to um, like in Balance of, um, call it of the Everqueen, Guardians of the Everqueen, there are those kind of ley lines, or there's those um, mm-hmm. kind of things that would cleanse... Um, when they had to cleanse the Stormcast so that they're coming into this new place untainted. Do you think it has something to do with that kind of thing?
1: Well, interesting point that you should bring up the Everqueen, because she does appear in a vision uh, to the Stormcast here and explains the reason for these. They they are basically the nerve centers for Behemoth, who's this uh, the world titan here in Giran, and he's underground, and these nodes, these geomantic nodes, uh, are what can potentially save or corrupt him. Uh, so that, that uh, explains why they're so important. Um, now, the, the Skaven, on their hand, uh, they, it's unclear at first whether they're just you know doing their Skaven thing and uh, going after these because they, they corrupt everything, but it, it is a concerted effort on Archaon's part. So the Lord Relictors from the Stormcast are, are using the storm magic to purify these nodes, and the Parasite Engines are trying to consume and corrupt that energy where possible.
2: You know, there's kind of a neat visual in here, too. That, I mean, of course, <laughs> as you read through it, it, makes more sense, but, like, at this point, knowing what we know without going any further, I feel like, um, you know, so, you think about the land in the past chapter, about the land being sentient, and, like, the runes kind of, you know, quelling that a little bit,
3: but I mean, mm-hmm. I always
2: thought of these. you talk about, like, ley lines and that. I kind of, I kind of think of these the same way, as, like, they're being, um, you know, arteries and veins of the land, mm-hmm. you're basically yeah. being, you know, the are with, um, Injecting the warp stone and the corruption and everything, and and then build like it says billions of them die over the, the years that get glossed over. Like they're just kind of like just shooting junk into this uh, into these this nerve centers. So like as the story develops, it makes a lot more sense than it just being kind of random that these mosquito machines are walking around and poking at the ground. Like didn't they, mm-hmm. I think they do a nice job of, of really like thematically and narratively bringing this together.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and talking about the the ground here, it starts to it starts to. Get unstable as this uh, Titan behemoth starts stirring underground. Uh, <clears throat> makes a already chaotic and uh, difficult campaign even more so. Uh, and we do see the arrival of Bloab Rotspond, who makes it in from Akshi, pops up. And he's been directed to, uh, he sends out his flies, and they're going to go corrupt these geomantic nodes we we're talking about. And all this back and forth, you know, cl- getting to him before the Skaven do. He undoes years of work, you know, all this, all this fighting by uh, flies can slip through, they can get where the skaven can't and corrupt these nodes that have already been purified. But he's not the only one who arrives. We see Tornus and the Celestin Prime have followed, uh, Bloab through the Flameheart, which is, uh, looks like it must be a, a gate that goes between the two. Uh, as you recall, Flameheart popped up, uh, back in action. Yeah. Celestin Prime heads off on his own mission and, uh, Tornus is hunting Bloab.
0: Nice. I like I like that he gets to go back and just go after Nurgle's uh, followers.
1: That's been yeah. pretty cool. Do what you love, you know?
2: <laughs> you know, on page 174 here, too, there's a really nice picture. Like, as a story, as you're reading this, kind of starts to dawn on you. Like, uh, BAMet mm-hmm. as this Titan, like this actual picture of the this, Scabrous this Sprawl. Like, you look mm-hmm. at it, because <laughs> it took me a minute to look at it, like, that kind of looks like, you know, oh, wait a minute, that is. <laughs> so, like, we're kind of, you know, seat or pattern finders but looking right. at this like it's really intentional and mm-hmm. it's just it's kind of I feel like it's done just with a light enough touch that it all kind of falls together without being too silly I mean okay it's
1: you know yeah of so like but, here's a here's a stick man under the ground yeah. sort
2: of thing. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, man with the continent you know
0: <laughs> I suppose in some places yeah. they're super heavy-handed with the you know like the naming and that sort of thing but if they can you know be subtle in some areas yeah that's it's a nice balance
2: well, this one's kind of lifted through like the Norse mythology, though pretty much most of. It. I mean, even like his Behemoth's father is essentially. I keep writing Imir in here my notes when it's like Im wrong or whatever, but <laughs> it's, yeah, it's pretty right. It's the same thing.
1: Yeah, they make mention that uh, Sigmar uh, slew Behemoth's father, um, and Arcan tends to try to use that against him. You know, to when when the Titan awakes, use that to help corrupt him.
0: Yeah, no, we don't just have uh, god beasts. We've got uh, junior god of beasts here, right? Exactly.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and this one's uh, first one. It, it makes it female, and so you you have like you know the, the female sign of like the mother he uses he uses the moon, but you know they go they go sun this time, so that works. And now this time we got a dude.
1: Yeah. Um. Well, that closes out that chapter. We had on now the great green twerk, which uh, twerk the yeah. <laughs> what a twerk that's i believe what i said the great green torque to
0: twerk
1: twerk oh no <laughs> you're fired all right uh <clears throat> so the great green torque is a really creepy picture of this thing uh it's got the the baby head on one side and the skull head on the other side uh but it is pretty cool again we talk about the fantastical terrain and this is that epitomized so you start at one end uh And move around to the other they have names like you know this area is called the area of rebirth and there's you know they all go through all this different seasons and life uh rebirth spring seed naive hope uh all the way down to the the dwindling the great lack, ever dusk and and death and right here there is a gate uh called the amethyst gate which is a nice nod to uh, amethyst wizards that used to be the, the color of the college that was devoted to death magic and that leads to the realm of death.
3: Nice.
1: And you think of, uh, sister realms, you know, the realm of shadow, realm of light and the realm of life and the realm of death. So
2: that's uh, like what a in Washington DC too. Like, you look to the left, right, <laughs> like there's the monument. Like, it's like,
1: it's like a, I feel like, like a British, I feel place. like your Washington DC visit was way different than mine. But I, <laughs> I live there. I guess that's fine. Right. Yeah. All right. yeah. <laughs> uh, we already talked about it It was once inhabited by Gargants, the whole, uh, beanstalk situation and then, uh, spider grots, but now has been overrun by Nurgle and in particular Nurgle beastmen. Uh, so the whole thing is poisoned and we want to know, you know, why, why is this important other than being like a cool place to fight? Uh, it's part of a a three part plan by Archaeon, who's looking to have the Skaven who are the best at what they do as far as being able to drill down and awake the Titan just by burrowing down, uh, you have the demon fly curse, which is corrupting all the geomantic nodes. Okay, those things are in place now. The torque, apparently, when Behemoth arises, if they can corrupt the torque and then place it around his neck, then he's bound to Archaeon's will specifically. So, yep. this is this is the third and final part of that, and it's already pretty well along. But along come the Stormcast Eternals, and that would be the Hallowed Knights and Gardas, along with the Anvils of the Helden Hammer.
0: Gardas is back. Yeah,
1: yeah exactly. Uh, they did, uh, talk, so we've seen the anvils of the Heldenhammer before they actually showed up back in balance of power in the realm of death, uh, trying to save, uh, trying to, to set up an embassy basically with Nagash. Uh, and I don't know that we've gotten to, to see them since. So, uh, they specifically are talking in archaic language, uh, this whole, uh, specific chamber that's here. Uh, there's an interesting interaction. So they they're fighting off. They they have some initial skirmishes with with the Nurgle beastmen. But as they work their way along, all of a sudden they they get a sense that something else is coming, and uh, and then, so as one of the sort of aside boxes where it's it's giving some direct dialogue, and Gardas is is being a little bit uh, cautious or wary. And the more gung ho anvil that held in hammer says, "Doth the shadow of the monstrous give you pause?" Uh, and he's sort of in you know, a mocking like, "What are you? What are you scared?" And Gardas says, "Yes, as it should. Any warrior, uh, as it should for any warrior who fights with his mind as well as blade." This is good. You know, that's that Gardas that is enjoyable because he's kind of a thinking a thinking man. You know, he's not just a
3: you
0: know he's, all out. He's not jumping in blindly saying, "I'm going to kill this thing and that thing and I'm going to kill that thing and that thing." He, he does. It. I don't know if he's the strategist necessarily, but he's certainly. Yeah, he he thinks through things. He measures twice, cuts
1: once.
2: He's, yeah. he's less bombastic, I think, than the other knights.
1: Yeah, right. Exactly, and uh, I think that makes him one of one of the more interesting uh, storm casts to me. Yeah. Uh, so. uh, but indeed, he has a good reason to be wary because he triggers a release of uh, the spider grots comes swarming forth, and all of a sudden. The stormcast chambers are stuck in between both the spiders and the beastmen, uh, and so it's it's looking dire because they're they're pinned between two. Uh, Gardas decides, well, let's let's try and uh, continue on with the mission, which is which is to clear this place of, of Nurgle. So he volunteers he and his uh, hallowed knights to hold back the spiders while the anvils of the hammer uh, try to complete the mission, which is to to clear out the Nurgle beastmen. So, Anvils go sweeping through. Uh, I believe actually this particular war chamber is the Griefbringers, I think. Kind of a okay. cool names. They, they, uh, they go storming along and uh, they're finding it a little bit too easy after, after a little bit. They're like, I'm not sure. And then it turns out they're being specifically drawn. The, the Beastmen are, are trying to not make it a stand up engagement, they're trying to pull them away from the Hallowed Knights to split their force so they can't support each other and then ambush them all along the way, uh, try to bleed them dry. And again, this goes on for weeks. Um, you know, so I'm
2: we, sorry, I think this is the first time in the Realmgate Wars, and I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but I think this is the first time where the Beastmen are not just fodder, they actually like they <laughs> yeah. do yeah. they strategy. Do something yeah. cool. Sure. Yeah, they're
3: helping.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this, you know, there's no battalion for this, but these are specifically, clearly Nurgle-aligned Beastmen, so it's a, uh, you know... Um, I don't know, a, a cool reminder that uh, beastmen can be aligned to a particular god or are certainly affected by them uh, and we close out where the animals have managed to fight their way all the way back to the umbilicus uh, which is the halfway point halfway between the life and the death ends, uh, but they are down to just half their number and coming up the umbilicus is, uh, is just this swarm and horde of beastmen and they prepare for their last stand Nice. So back down to the sprawl, uh, see what's going on while, while this situation is getting more dire up on the, up on the torque. Eric. Uh, uh, uh nice.
3: <laughs>
1: Eric. Sorry. This is part 11 children's sprawl. And we, we find out that the umbilicus itself, like, cause it's, it's huge, right? How are we getting up and down this beanstalk without just being totally gassed and needing a nice long nap? It turns out it's a, it's a realm gate, you know, like an express elevator up down. So you, you start up, and all of a sudden, you're at the top, and uh, down below. T five that this form, That's easy. There you go. Knowing knowing that this is not going well, uh, two more warrior chambers are, are sent in. This is uh, more hallowed knights. Silas the Untarnished, who is described here as a spiritual brother of Gardas. I don't think we've heard about him before, but uh, so but he's in he's in good company there. And then I like this Tempest Lord is uh, Thresio. And he talks about some of his accomplishments. He was elevated after slaying the ninefold warlock you know, did this awesome thing. But uh, he says when he was reforged, he was aghast to discover that none of his former people had joined him after the reforging. And no one here knew of his accomplishments. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was a good little, you know, they're so often pretty humorless, the Stormcast. I, I like that. So, uh, and then Donna, he resolves. Donut Threshio, the ninefold of nothing. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, uh, He's resolved that. well, Okay, well, if people don't know about me, I'm gonna make them know about me. So he's he's setting out to uh, uh, make a name for himself again. So uh, as they as they land in there, making their way to try to secure the uh, umbilicus, they accidentally happen upon a uh, group of gargants that have not been uh, corrupted that are just kind of hiding out in the swamp. And they they go non lethal combat on these guys. They they try to uh, just disengage, which they Managed to do it. It talks about the gargants waking up with a bunch of welts and bruises from being whacked by hammer. I was, this is some very, some very, uh, restrained hammer strikes going on here, but, uh, they do, uh, they do end up in a, again, a really prolonged campaign at the bottom of the umbilicus. And they're, they're trying to, if they, like we said, this is a realm gate that's just spilling huge amounts of beastmen up as reinforcements up onto the torque. If they can, if they can cut it off or hold uh hold the base of the umbilicus, then the guys up top on the torque, who they can see, they know it's going bad because they can see those lightning strikes, right? They can see the cast getting recalled to Azir. Uh so they know it's not going well up there. Uh so they're trying to improve the odds by cutting off the supply of reinforcements. Unfortunately they are ambushed uh the Beastmen rather than up top where they're doing lots of small ambushes, they hold all their forces for one big one. Uh, and then they use a a swarm of demon flies from Bloab to uh, conceal their numbers until they're right on top. Uh, but here, Tornus gets a little screen time again. Tornus the redeemed—he's been hunting for Bloab. He's had a couple of close calls, but he finally managed to uh, nail him right through the chest with a uh, with a star—is it the star faded arrow? Um, and uh, Bloab explodes into a bunch of flies and all the prosecutors as part of the great hunt with Tornus start throwing their, uh, storm call javelins and arcing lightning to, uh, scorch all these flies and they get all of them except for one maggot, which managed to bore its way into a, uh, a dead, uh, blight, blight king, which I'm, I'm not going to go looking in there for him. So <laughs> it's a pretty good hiding place. Uh, and this I, I don't know what this uh, ends up leading to, but there there is later just in a little one of those aside boxes, it, there's a uh Skaven Plague priest happened across, notices this maggot working its way out, and the rot fly starts trying to fly away and he, he managed to stun it with his tail and then swallows swallows it whole uh and goes off saying, Still, still, my pretty get rest, you will need it. We have much great work ahead of us. So uh blow abs, blow abs down to just a single maggot fly that is in the belly of a scaven plague priest but he's around man so
2: i don't know i'm trying to, I'm trying to read into that maybe this is kind of like an, an outro so he can because he bloke, you know the flies fly into his mouth and yeah, you know, maybe the same things kind of happen to him and that's mm.
1: the last i got you uh,
2: this this whole chapter these two chapters are just so metaphoric i just like multiple levels <laughs> it's just kind of ridiculous yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, I think uh, you know we read in in Warbeast that the Skaven can take talismans from different, um, you know, beings. In the case of of the, um, what should we call it? The. Hmm, I got big, no, in the previous book, it was uh, one of the the Skaven lords, the Vermin Lords, um, took you know one of his teeth and was able to use that too. So oh, sure. it could be kind of a talismany kind of thing oh, where this yeah. maggot's blessed by by Nurgle, but it certainly could be. You know the second coming of Blowab. You know, time for you may this fly may eat that uh Skaven Plague Priest uh hollow and and you know turn him into Blowab again. So put
2: on his pillow and like the, the love fairy,
0: <laughs> the <laughs> maggot fairy, yeah.
2: Come and leave him like a dollar.
1: Well, uh, with that aside, so by by taking out blowab, all of a sudden the the cloud of flies is is dispersed and the stormcast can see well enough to actually fight. And they're still against you know terrible numbers, so they they set up a, uh, a desperate charge. And uh, also at the same time, apparently they'd have they'd have no chance against these numbers. But uh, the gargants uh, come charging in. It says uh, 50, 50 of these giants come. And and they're not distinguishing between one side or the other, but just because there's so many more Nurgle, it ends up uh, disrupting and breaking up that ambush, and uh, giving the Stormcast a fighting chance. Stormcasts get all the way to the base of the umbilicus, and they they're trying to smash it down. They just can't. You know, they get the Retributors swinging away with the demolition hammers, and it's not happening. So they they time this one particular strike. You manage to get King Broad, B R O D D Broad, Brod, King Broad. Uh, is and again? Uh, I don't know if you want to say Looney Tunes style, but he, uh Thresio, rolls out of the way of a a strike from King Broad, and then uh manages to time it with a bunch of Retributors on the other side, and they both strike the base of the umbilicus at the same time, and then it starts shattering, crumbling, and then finally toppling away. So even though they don't have the numbers to to hold this ground, they have managed to cut off reinforcements and achieve what they needed to do. Which will take us back up for the Battle of the Torque in part twelve. So meanwhile, back up on the torque, when you lose the umbilicus, well that cherub starts sobbing aloud. So just to make this whole torque a little more creepy, yeah. uh one side just starts crying and apparently drooling. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and uh it talks some more about these spider fan grots. So they they have trim these hallowed knights who are doing on this de- desperate last stand to try and get the anvil some time to actually clear uh clear the torque of Nurgle Beastmen. Uh there's almost there's almost none left, but then it talks about, you know, what was what was the reason these Spider Fang came out now? It says they've they've been beaten down for so long, uh by chaos that uh and the the area's been corrupted of food. The the gargants left because there was no decent food to eat on the torque and the spider fangs have just been Getting by, well, they see these knights come down like, oh, there might be red meat. There might be uncorrupted meat. Let's go get some. So they, they come out on this all out sort of desperate attack, like it's now or never. But in the process of like being out here and fighting, getting this big brawl, all of a sudden it awakens the spirit of Gorka morca in them, right? So all of a sudden they have their own little spider walk and it, uh, it starts picking up steam. Gardas is stoking this, you know, trying to get them all fired up and then, uh, dives out of the way he he it doesn't say what happens to him but he and this last few last few hallowed knights just jump off the edge of the torque so presumably they fall all the way down and, and are reforged but it doesn't it doesn't say you know i was half expecting it to be one of those uh uh lord of the gandalf jumping off onto a the, the giant eagle sort of moment yeah uh,
0: so wh- but, while we've been talking about Gardas being the level headed in that he doesn't rush into like i'm gonna kill everything
3: he seems to sacrifice
1: himself quite a bit though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's definitely a Hallowed Knight thing, right though. I mean like that's they, yep. they characterize themselves willing to willing to sacrifice more so than than anyone else. Yeah. Uh but yeah, so now that now the grots are, are going, and they're just this big wave of spider fan grots surging across the torque. Well meanwhile the Anvils have managed to fight their all all the way through to the, the rebirth area uh and there's a castle there, Castle of Neonatus. And there's your little nod, Kenny, for those, those oh so clever names. Uh, they managed to, to take the castle and, and set up to defend it just as a, a, fresh wave of, uh, Nurgle followers is, is falling up against them, the beastmen. And here we get a little, get a little, uh, cameo from, from Cygors, which I'm always a fan of. Yay. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, they, uh, they're whipping, stones at the the castle, and they managed to just shear off a whole chunk of it, and uh, among the people who are in that chunk are the Lord Celestine and Lord Relictor, and that chunk goes sailing off into that uh, Amethyst Gate, so it goes into the Realm of Death. And here's the thing, I, I if I was super sharp, I might have noticed this earlier, but uh, Thaddeon Vendensed Ionus's name prior to reforging was Vendensed uh, so this guy is actually Ionus's brother. Um so he, he they fall off into uh, hmm. into Shaiish uh, and it doesn't say right away. We do get an aside a little bit later uh, that they wake up in Shaiish and they haven't been killed. And they he and the Lord Relictor kind of link up again, and then they see uh, a sight that they weren't they weren't expecting to see. They see uh, other anvils of the Heldenhammer marching in column in alliance with uh, some undead. So we can presume yeah. we last saw him in the balance of power uh, and was the hell the hammer. They must have had a successful embassy. And if you want to know more about that, actually, you could read the 10th book, the 10th novel in the series, uh, Lord of Undeath, uh, which really goes into uh how that comes to pass. So uh I'll save that for another time. But... Uh back in Gyran there's fighting in that in that rebirth section is having this odd effect. You know, some that you would expect where these uh it's got this um, revitalization. So Stormcast take these fatal wounds which should kill them and then send them back up. They end up recovering from them and getting back up and fighting some more. Even so they're they're down to just about forty of them. Uh, and the Beastmen has a really weird thing. I don't know if you got a chance to read this where the uh they'll get killed and then from their remains these tiny little simulacra will come springing forth to look like mini beastmen and then they rapidly grow to full size like these weird kind of pale imitation ones so huh. like rebirth but a gross weird so rebirth so, so they're
0: not reproducing like you would they're no <laughs> no they're
1: they're uh <laughs> That's that's a slanish
0: way. <laughs> so, but they're just kind of recreating from their bodies. Yeah, and like things.
1: right, using using the raw materials, I guess, are being born again. But despite all these assets, the animals of the Heldenhammer are on their they're on their last legs. There's only forty of them left, and then they they see something moving in the distance, and it's the spiderwag, which has cleared everything up to this point, and just keeps on rolling and uh, smashes aside the last of these Nurgle's influence, and uh, and they. Are satisfied enough that they decide not to take out the last of the anvils that held in him. Right? It has a comment that uh, even a Grott, uh can sometimes note that the enemy is is perhaps a friend.
0: Mm. So they're not just dumb. Uh,
1: no. Uh, and uh, one interesting thing they they speculate that maybe maybe it was Gardas knew that the best the best force to restore the natural balance of the Torque was the natural inhabitants of the Torque, which were the Spider Fangrats. Uh, And almost immediately you see that the Torque starts getting a a healthy green glow rather than that sickly pallor that it's had. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, that is one part of our Chaos plan that has come apart already, but uh, there's still the matter of Behemoth, uh, who is now waking up. The agonizing... Thrash. this is in uh, the Titan Rises part 13 it's uh, he's now thrashing about you know he's, he's corrupted and parasite engines have been digging into him so he's he's starting to rise and if you have something that size getting up it's a real tectonic shift uh, Again the cleverly named Torcrania crania turns out to be his head
3: what? Uh, he
1: <laughs> get out of town uh, and uh, Dracothian sees oh things are dire. Sends a swarm of meteors down, and these meteors meteors turn out to be elements from uh, the chamber extremis. So you have Dracothian guard again, and some Star Drakes arriving. Uh, Behemoth awakes and sees his homeland. The last time he was awake, it was all was green and good. This land was green and good, and uh, now he's irate at the state of things, and he's he's sick, and he's been infected, and uh, so he's it's it's bad news, and it's uh, desperation time. Retributors are trying to stun him into submission by smashing him with their uh, with their maces, with their uh, hammers and Star Soul maces. Uh, he doesn't; they don't even give him to flinch. So they're they're hoping maybe we can stun him. They don't even get any reaction whatsoever. So Ferrikus decides to summon the Great Bolts, which we haven't heard about before. But uh, the response, the immediate response, is that is blasphemy. And it has a discussion of what they are. Their retribution given form and to wield them is to wield the power of a god. <clears throat> So to bring this about, the, uh, and I don't know if you, the, the late great bravery one, uh, talked about this formation. It's, it's pretty bonkers in game terms, but in this, in this case, it's, they're trying to take out a titan with it, right? So they, they need anyone who can, who can bring the lightning. So it's mostly the Lord Relictors. It's also the Knight Vexelors. Yep. Uh, and they even get, uh, the Dracothian Guard and Stardrakes are spitting lightning on this, and they're trying to, they, you pile enough of it on, and then you get this 12-sided star of celestial magic, and it's hovering over the Titan, and it's going to work, and then they don't have the power. They, they're, it says they're found wanting, and it just slashes out of control. So they have, uh, the Vexelors and Relictors are just melted down into molten Sigmarite and flesh, and it it's arcane cross and flipping, uh, flipping over parasite engines, destroying, like just, you know, even more chaos and, uh, unrest going across the, the battlefield Destruction until, not meeting their goals. Right. I was glad. Right. I said, exactly. I mean, I was glad
2: it like, Oh, the Trump guys are going to get together and do their great big, you know, lightning, um, they're going to form like lightning Voltron. And that yeah. kind of backfires, which is, I mean, even though this is the thing that like brought down his daddy is a uh, Titan daddy. You know, like it's yeah. kind of nice that, it didn't just work out great, you know, at first. And it kind of, you know, I guess you would say right. kind of Raiders of the Lost are kind of, you know, whoops.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Backfire. Uh, and it, it looks like, uh, Fircus, you know, says, sees us going down and he, he's, he, he says all is lost. You know, he thinks they failed to kill the Titan. All they've done is get him more angry. And, uh, he says Sigmar himself will pay the price. But then we have the Celestin Prime, who is off on his own mission, which was apparently to prepare to harness this, because he comes zooming in, uh, harnesses all that lightning arcing around it all, starts you know, going to him like a, a magnet. He's sucking it all up, and he's, it's all concentrated in one Super Bolt. And uh, with Galmaraz, he channels it all into one big strike onto the top of the Titan's head, and basically Supernova craters Behemoth in the head, and uh, takes him out, saving the day here.
0: And it's, I mean, obviously, these are just characters or whatever. But thinking of such a like, there's like we said, there's not many god beasts, right, that we know of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one, you know, is obviously once a very good god beast. Um, mm-hmm. to have to resort to just flat out killing it just seems wrong. Like,
2: well, I know, was sad too. it was like you. If we can't, Ilario uh, I think Jerkowitz um, "Like, if you can't, if you can't get him on our side, he's got to go."
1: Yeah, that was that was Ilario's message. Was uh, you know you got to stop him from being corrupted. If you can't do that. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to kill him because it'll be a disaster. Like, Arcanion's already got Ignax, and it's uh, if he gets two, it's it's done. Uh, and then we have a brief epilogue here. Behemoth falls back down to the sprawl, and what used to be his prison is now his grave. And uh his landing just causes utter devastation. Tidal waves in continents far away um just crushes this and this this used to be again this used to be a, a green and verdant land now the air is so filled with the dust of long parched earth that no starlight would be seen for a thousand days. We've got almost like a a mini nuclear winter here from the from the scale of the conflict right. Yeah. And uh, and an interesting difference between these storm hosts. It says the hallowed hallowed knights wept to see what had become of the realm they had come to save, praying as one for forgiveness. The knights Excelsior looked upon the destruction of that once fertile land and saw that it was good. So they're they're the scorched earth, right? So chaos has corrupted this, then it's got to go, like there. And it it was a it was another good example of how how different uh, stormcast eternals approach things in different ways. So. Uh, and then your final image is Archeon leading Ignax, the solar drake away. And it's a super cool image. Like all you can see is like part of Ignax's head. And then the entirety of Archeon is like dwarfed, like the size of her eye. Uh, it really kind of puts, puts the scale of these beasts into perspective. Uh, but in that eye, you can see there is uh, a reflection or the the shimmer of a, a dwarf rune. So you know that mm. Uh, something's up there and it says fate was unraveling fast and the realms would burn anew. Yeah, no. So, I mean, while
0: this wasn't the, the novelization of these stories, so it's pretty brisk, you know, brisk, it's pretty brusque about, you know, getting things blunt about what's happening. Um, it's certainly cool that, that they are able to capture such an epic feel with the amount of things, you know, to have like three stories, um, Star Drakes thrown at Archeon and have him, you know, bat through them. Um, to have like, you know, a whole realm of, you know, the or uh, uh, Infernia, you know, all the demons on that entire kind of planet-like thing come down and sweep in and then get destroyed by Dracothian. Like a lot of epic moves, a lot of um, you know, epic sways in the battle. Um, the parasite engines being just on a level. Um, you know, if, if you're trying to capture God beasts, you know, it feels like they had the right level of kind of players involved to make that happen, mm-hmm. uh, set the stage really well. Um, how do you, Kenny, how did the, the fire slayers do? They, I mean, this is their first kind of foray directly in the, in the main timeline of the realm gate wars. Um, how do you, are you proud of them?
1: Yeah, I was saying that they they had a little showing in balance of power, but here was here was like the the big right, you know they mm-hmm. they they went in to try and break that chain. But yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead, Kenny.
2: Yeah, they got proper screen time. I, 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 yeah, I was I was happy with this. I I like that they were woven into the fluff and they were just like sort of a side battalion that just kind of came along. So I, I I was pretty pleased with they had here. Yeah.
1: Cool. Yeah, I felt like they had a good reason for for being. In. It wasn't just like. Uh, you know, I guess we could use the fire slayers as a <laughs> fill in the blank protagonist here. Like they, they, you know, having them involved in Ignax and actually, like it, it made sense. Well, it was kind of funny. So I
2: played the battalion over the weekend, and then I read the book afterwards, and like, oh, that that makes so much more sense now when they have
3: this.
2: like why they can puke. they can uh, do their their magma puke twice instead of once in the shooting phase. Mm, yeah, to yeah. so kind of you know the whole going up the chain. Yeah, um, yeah. And their are fire steel axes. their nerf axes, as we call them, nerf axes. Yeah. They're better, so they went on a 3 instead of a 4, which came into play over the weekend, I have to yeah.
0: say. So, pretty nice. Well, when this book came out and they you know, showed some of those f- first pictures of you know Archeon next to Ignex, you know, I speculated you'd have to cosplay Ignex <laughs> as a full-grown person in order to get the correct <laughs> scale for this uh, game. Um but you know, I'm, you know, I really dig the epic level they've gone to, and I'm excited, uh, you know, to dig into to all gates um, and finish up the, um, you know, finish up the round gate wars, and uh, you know, also see what happens with the the summer of war, um, et cetera. So, uh, fantastic. Why don't we uh, jump away from the story phase into the hero phase?
2: The hero. In the hero phase, we turn our attention to those of you who want to get started in the Age of Sigmar or share this game with your friends.
0: All right. So, um, I think we've got a pretty significant resource that's uh, recently dropped with the General's Handbook um, that provide has you know provided a amazing resource for a lot of new players coming back into Age of Sigmar. It seems to have resonated across the. You know the the gaming community, and given not just a, a place for you know what a lot of people had hoped for from you know other games, but the point system, um, you know, a matched play, um, but also given a prominent spot for open play, which is what we've been been working with, and what we've you know I my personally, and I'm sure both of you can agree, um, what I think is probably the Best part of the general's handbook, you know, unequivocally. You know, this is an opinion here, <laughs> um, but that's facts. Only <laughs> the facts here. A, a, a great framework and variety in narrative play, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that not only is it, you know, brought kind of the community as a whole, you know, kind of laser focused us around these different ideas, um, but seems to be doing really well in in kind of bringing new players, giving them place to start. Um, would you guys agree?
1: yeah so i I would maybe i mean obviously we're joking a little bit here but uh if we if we back off the statement for a second that you know narrative is the best or whatever what is great is that you can with that resource you can match you know if you're if you're trying to bring new players in the hobby like are you trying to bring in somebody who's really likes breaking lists down and and thinking about that side of thing you know like uh, then you say, "All right, you know, let's do some match play games." If you got somebody who just wants, "Hey, I've I've got some stuff," you know, not really sure how to put it on the table. All right, we got open play or narrative. You got somebody who really likes doing the stories or, or getting that. So it it gives the resources that you can match to the the player as as appropriate. So Absolutely. I,
2: yeah, we were talking at the, the store over the weekend, and uh, we played two narrative games. I've done two of the four: the, the Stormfront one, and then on Saturday we did the Consumed, which is a really great one about a ritual, and you're trying to save your, uh, your hero from your army before the enemy sacrifices him over you know, so many rounds. Uh, but we were talking afterwards outside, and, and like, so we've seen a, a big showing of people coming back, and especially on online forums, I think you, you see this a lot, TGA also, we yeah, have people that are coming back because of points or the handbook, and they're talking about uh, lists and everything. And it's interesting to see like, the difference between talking about what looks good on paper and then what actually plays well, you know, in reality when you're when you're playing this game. So like when you're looking at heroes and you say, well, this one will give me a reroll here, and I can get, I can buff this and this, and then you have to play them, and you know, they're not necessarily always going to line up just like that. Uh, not that they did before, but I just think it's kind of interesting. It's, it's been wide variations between like trying to just interpret the general's handbook, like without having any experience with just Age of Sigmar and then playing your games, and realizing that maybe you know things don't line up just as much like that. But there's just so much potential. And uh, I'm really glad to see people that are, for whatever reason, coming to Age of Sigmar, giving it a try, trying it different ways, and uh, getting a chance to experience the different types of games that they could
3: have.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the things that um, we like about points, I think it's undisputable, is that it gives you a solid common ground to say, hey, this many points, we're using the match play rules, and it's really easy to know what everybody means. It's a common language um, that makes it easy for strangers to to come up and play which can be great for a new player joining a new community moving to a new place and you know meeting other people um and i guess it's um not again not that list building is is i enjoy it as well and that it's not a it's a something that does has its own skill sets you know that sort of thing of somebody doing that but in regards to building a list and just adding numbers together is a very easy way to um, kind of decide what you're going to bring to the the game store and, and to play games with. So, I think from that again, the hero phase. How do you get somebody started? Is you give them a, a points number, whether it be five hundred, a thousand, whatever, and have them work towards it, right?
2: Mm-hmm. And it doesn't um, need to be um, it doesn't necessarily need to be match, match play like a like a straight up battle line or one of the six scenarios. We've been using it for narrative play too, just to kind of get a
3: Oh, absolutely!
2: Standard ground, like let's play. uh, We say two thousand points ish, and then we show up. We get the model out. We kind of see what we want to add and what works. But yeah, it's good common ground to get people. So it's I. I would just tell people it's not just for straight up tournament style play. You can use that for friends that want to come, whatever their interest is. You can bring them in using that as like a starting point.
0: Yeah, I think. I mean, what I think it's like you said, the mix and match. where I think sometimes we were, a lot of the community was worried that points would, would kind of kill some of the open feel that we've, we've experienced from open play, like not having much restriction or much guidelines that we've been able to kind of, um, kind of move about and try new things and experiment. And the concern was that, you know, bringing points would kind of harness everything in and people would ignore the other things. Um, it, feels to me like not even with the points like and you're what you just said was an example is it, it just gives you more tools. It's modular. It's, you know, fit this in or take this out. You have still have all the permissions to use what you want. Um, and ask, and, but now you, again, the whole thing is a lexicon of saying, Hey, what do you want to do um, for your opponent? Do you want to match play? Do you want to keep in battle line? Do you want to um, take out um, allegiance abilities or, um, you know, those sorts of things, like what do you want to play with? Do you want to, you know, use, um, you know, some of the narrative play where you get, um, you know, not only like there's a a matrix style play, which is cool where, where, you know, you say, okay, let's do a matrix game. And you have to, you each decide what you think you're capable of and what you think the other person's going to kind of choose. And based on what you guess and and how they line up, it changes your scenario and it changes like, you know, special abilities you get or the ability to bring some things on as a flank and that sort of stuff. So there's just so many just little tools that it gives you to, to make your games fresh and new and different. Um, and uh, while that may not be your best place to start with the, the new player um, it's certainly a way to continue to keep it fresh for, you know, gamers who've been doing it for a while, you know, um, and, and kind of, gives us hope that this isn't going to get stale anytime soon, right?
1: Right, because we, we talk so much about you know having a community and trying to get the new players in, but part of it is also retaining your existing players, right? So it doesn't matter, you know if you get two new players in but lose three players, then you're, you have not grown your local community. So it's nice to have that, uh, not just the recruitment, but the retention aspect from it um, as far as that goes. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like you say, you, it, It's if you look at it as like a, a toolkit, you know, we're talking about the uh, <clears throat> little timeline, having all these little seeds of ideas. Well, this is a similar thing. We've got, you know, oh, you could do a slow-grow league where everyone starts out at 200 points or this many war scrolls or, you know, it's got so many different options and you can try it out, like see what, see what uh, might draw new players in, like... You know, for the first half of the year, we're going to do a slow-grow league, and then we're going to do a narrative. But uh, I think what is potentially overlooked and is a really valuable part of this is all, all the multiplayer scenarios in there um, or the, the ways of playing multiplayer because that that is a great way to get other people in. They get to see, you know, you get to have a social aspect there where everyone's in around the same table and getting to getting to enjoy things, get a laugh out of things, uh, and see how different things work. Also, if you end up, you know, with three people, you don't end up having a new guy sitting and watching. Instead, they get to get it right, get in there and play. You know, nobody has to sacrifice playing in order to get the, the the new player on board.
0: Absolutely, I love the multiplayer games, and there's some that are so easy to just get started. And and uh, um, so you're right, tons of tools. Um, the the other nice thing is that the general handbook, general's handbook, sorry, is twenty five dollars US. 15 uh, pounds UK Um, and you know everywhere in between Um, but it's
1: even even less if you get it on the app if that's your thing right
0: and uh, with that when you buy it as in the app it puts points overlay onto your Age of Sigmar um, uh, app so whenever you're picking things and you're looking at you know creating your um, your warband um, your battle group, then it adds. it You can it'll you'll be able to see the points that you're adding together in the app, and so that's a. Yeah. I didn't do that. I got the the physical because uh, just really enjoying reading through it and and stuff. But uh, I can definitely see myself you know buying that that version of it down yeah. the road as well.
1: It's it's not quite an army builder app, but it you know has has some initial functionality. And the way they update those things, I, I might not be surprised if they somehow build that in eventually but we'll see
0: i know there's a few people wish listing um and wanting to (laughs) take those requests to to games workshop and see what happens
1: oh yeah and i think actually it's worth mentioning and i don't i I think we've talked to this but uh scrollbuilder.com yeah he's moved whole hog he's been uh, just doing a hero's level of work there um getting it all converted so you can just go and plug and play your points in there and that's also a nice thing you'd be able to We've mentioned it before on the uh, on the show, but you can send a new player there if they if they don't even have it, but they can don't even have the general's handbook, but they can uh, put something together with points if that's if that's the way you want to go with your community. Absolutely.
2: And you know, one one last point on this before you, you leave the hero phase, uh, if you're in a, a community or a group or a game store, or whatever in your area, uh, it may sound kind of simple, but to break from one style of play, you have to just start. So like, everybody was doing match play and points when the, the handle came out before were coming in. But it kind of took, like, hey, let's do a narrative battle. And once we did it and people watched it, then, you know, it just sort of seemed like it was obvious all along, but you could do other types of games. But, like, somebody has to sometimes start that and, and do it where other people can see. And they know you're enjoying the game. You talk about it afterwards. And, like, it, it just, even locally for us, it made a huge difference just finally breaking, and just by chance, meeting one of these days and just playing it. Yeah. I mean, it opens up a lot, but someone's just got to be that first person to start
0: it. Yeah. Well, and and I'll say open play, and it seems like open play is the, so in the book, open play often means the multiplayer, like we've said, um, I mentioned at the top of the show, Triumph and Treachery um, was such a great game in 8th edition, and it brings a lot of those elements to Age of Sigmar, the kind of forming quick, um, uh, you know, uh, alliances against maybe somebody else, and then becoming, you know, Maybe you break those a little bit later and then with the addition of these cards that you can find on TGA.community, you know, again, somebody in the community just said, hey, I want to add on to the General's Handbook with these cards and we can do that. We can continue to do that. So, um, cool. So, uh, General's Handbook, uh, $25 US, 15 pounds UK. Go get it uh, and give it to somebody, you know, share it with somebody else uh, as as a way of getting them into the hobby. So, All right the hobby phase in the hobby phase we want to stoke the flames of creativity for hobbyists and find shortcuts and easy entry points for new gamers so since we've got uh, kenny here um i suppose behind uh, amy snugs has probably got more pictures of fire slayers online <laughs> <laughs> uh and so wanted to uh, to have you spend some time with us uh, in the hobby phase and then in the campaign phase talking about your fire slayers um uh, I guess you know to start with, you have, and I, to put you on the spot, you got a name for your lodge. Do you have a name for your your uh, rune your rune father?
2: I did, yeah, I did. Uh, the Grimfeared Lodge, of course, which is spelled with Y's, uh, <laughs> right when it was coming out, uh, and we, you know, it was actually there was a few of us. Maybe this is maybe like I'll say late February, but Fireslayers hadn't been out. They came out in January. And it wasn't long after that I was talking on, um, I think it was TGA, uh, but or no, it was, I think it was the, the Fire Slayers, not the Fire Slayers, the H Sigma, the first Facebook group that became two and then changed their name, whatever the original one that has all the people on it. <laughs> that first one, that's where they were. I don't know what it's called now, but we were on that, and there were like three of us, and actually turns out like one of that even play Fire Slayers, but it had, it, <laughs> and we were talking about tactics. And we used like to start a Facebook group, and you know someone needed to, so we talked. So I ended up doing it, and uh, it's got like 240 or 250 people now. But it started out very small, <laughs> and it still it still has that high level of quality. We tell people like they come in, we want you to give us uh, come up with some fluff. You know, not to do it right now. You're you know, first welcome, but come up with some fluff. And in the beginning, with the exception of the studio army, which is what you know, any painted to that the basic uh, human Caucasian flesh tone kind of thing that everybody had some different look because of Fire Slayers in every realm. So you had different combinations of uh, body, you know, skin tone, of beards. Um, sometimes the beards and the crests would be different. The, the eyes, the, the metal, and the basing. So you had all these different colors. Uh, and so you had all these different combinations. It's kind of neat that nobody had repeated the same thing for quite a while. And we try to keep that kind of spirit there, too, that people come in. And you have people that are just looking, maybe kind of shopping around, went to shopping, taking a look at the army. Uh, and that are really into it. That are buying some, some of them are mixing with other armies. Some of them are just trying to build small force by itself, uh, which I you know, fully support playing mono fire slayers as, as I've done since they came out. And uh, yeah, it's been so really good for inspiration and for tactic. And we actually do talk tactics sometimes. I mean, there's okay. The, the, unit, the army has three units and nine possible characters and, you know, battalions are giving us more as they come out, which is nice. but there's only so many combinations you can do in the beginning until new things come out. So like we, we've had some discussions about like, you know, how do you arm your ball kites? What happens if you do this way and this way? So people get really into doing like the mass that, you know, that they break down. Um, you guys from playing with me understand that the statistics don't apply to me like they do to normal people. So I can't <laughs> say like, if I need a four up, I'll make it half the time. Right. Because a normal human being would, but for me, not so much. It's so like I, you've, I, got,
0: you've got a forever like minus one. Right.
2: <laughs> yeah. At least I gotta ski things a little bit. But but I appreciate what they saying. You know, I have, I have the double weapons and again, you know, this big fight me on Saturday, rolling fifty dice, I'm like, Oh look at that, I need to roll doubles, look at that. I get to re-roll my hits. How nice is that? And you know, versus the shields, the shield guys get killed pretty quick. But, but there's options there. So I guess what you know, the other point is to go there for your hobby, your tactics, your fluff, any kind of interest you have. So if you go on Facebook and you search for a group and you just say fire slayers and spell it, you know, with the Y. And then the group is called Fire Slayers. It's a closed group. It was parentheses afterwards. So uh, but my my army I came up with. I wanted to work on that big picture of uh, Grimnir from the original book, where he's like he's volcanic and he's slaying Volchareks. And he's basically got yeah had, you know molten body and his fires at his hair and his beard, which is kind of weird for his beard, but it, it actually is flame. It's it's right. not like a mohawk. And so when the moms were coming out, it was interesting to see like the different. Um, they got a lot of hate, you know, especially the wall And I can understand some of the, the displeasure about the poses, but I guess it was weird cause we were looking at them. We were saying like, if you look at them, painting them as humans, I can see where you might see this, but if you paint them in a colored flesh tone or if they have different color hair, you know, they don't really look so human anymore that it really takes away a lot of that. I think and, and gives you like a different lens to meet them with. Mm. So that was a, a discussion we had. So I didn't really see the problems that much, but we did talk to people about that. So you know just don't look at them like humans. Don't think of them as, as little dwarfs running around. Think of them as, you know, other creatures. And maybe that'll change a little bit. Yeah. So I painted mine like that, and that's what I've been working with. And um you know, started with having a few basic colors that I had available when I was overseas to paint the army and now going back and touching up.
0: Very cool. So you um so you've got the Grim Grim feared uh lodge. And and so you've got the yeah the kind of where they're just fully flamed like they've just they're engulfed in they're their own kind of lava. Um, uh, So you started kind of at the like underneath uh, the undertone is the the oranges and yellows and then you've built it up to a black or to a dark red.
2: Yeah, it's um it might be dryad bark uh, or it's one of those maybe it's more it's really dark color and then it's built up with some reds. Uh, and but it's yeah, so the top is the, they have the brightest red and their hair is um, kind of like the same as Warhammer TV has been putting out the, the, the how to paint videos every day mm-hmm. and they, they did Duncan did one last week on flame and it's sort of the same thing with um, it's been kind of universal without a paint fire from um, I used, I got it from a guy uh, Warboss Tay who's still around I think uh, who did some videos um, painting you know studio he did out the fire belly that's where I got it from when he mm-hmm. showed us how to do the fire belly mm-hmm. came out like five years ago. Uh, but it's yeah, so a basic idea like the flame and build up and then have a little bit of the, the burnt uh, with the black on the very ends, the tips of the hair. But like you can constantly change it. And these people come on and there's some amazing artists in the Fire Slayers group. And people say, how did you do that? And then they will actually tell you how they did that. And we've seen some that have recently looked very watercolory. y um, Some folks from Europe that have painted some really nice different types of style with the hair and the beards. And it's just amazing. Like this one – tiny race uh you know new content like and how much you can really do with this uh, i mean just the variety on the fire Stars page is just incredible and i kind of feel like people that join almost want to do something that hasn't been done before so they find a new way like a new tone that hasn't been hit yet and a new, a new color of hair a new color of cloth and uh yeah it's just amazing there's so much you can do with them
0: yeah i, I think um is it the grim theater is another one where it's based in kind of has that that a shyish uh, feel to it um uh, and the, so I've been with the doom seeker that came with the, um, uh, silver tower. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to figure out how to paint them in that kind of like, you know, what if you were in shyish and so, uh, like black and gray, you know, striped hair and then how to make the flesh seem a little pale, um, yet at the same time energized with the runes and that sort of thing. So yeah, I think that there, yeah, while there's skin, you know, it's a lot of flesh, um, and just a lot of hair. Um, <laughs> there's a, it feels like they've, you know, even with a couple of those color schemes that they gave you, like there's a lot you can do with it. It feels like there's a lot of hair, can be any color, skin can be any color. I mean, while clothes, people kind of get, you know, clothes and armor, they're just not kind of muddied up with that. So there's a lot of, yeah, I think there's just a lot of cool schemes out there. I'll definitely have to check out that Facebook group just to, to see that variety.
2: I've seen like a bright blue and a bright green. Almost kind of neon at one point with the highlights, and you'd be surprised. But there's there's just a variety, and some of these things work. So have a, I would, you know, tell people have a fluff with it if you can. If you can match them up with, uh, you know, first World all, Rome, your lodge is in a lodge name, name one of your characters, and as we go through the narrative battles, it's fun because I can write in like the thing we had on Saturday that consumed. I wrote a quick little thing on DGA yesterday about like what happened in the battle and about the rune sun, because the rune sons are names in succession because they keep dying and the dad had the sons. <laughs> it's like that, um, uh, what was it from Game of Thrones? They, uh, uh, the guy who yeah, had the, the Twin Towers, the Frey, water Frey, it's like the you know, 96 sons and daughters piled around. These guys have all these kids, these sons piled around, and they don't, and then the fires that are fluff, they have to either get out and start their own lodge, or um, hope that dad dies, or help dad die.
0: You know? right. I mean, right.
2: So yeah, there's, there's a lot of fluff. So you write them in the stories, and as characters die they're kind of comedically expendable, like, but it works in the fluff, the living fluff as they, as they go on.
0: That's awesome. That's nice. Uh, Davey, you got any favorite Fire Slayer uh, schemes?
1: Um, I, I do like that uh, it was the uh, ones based out of the realm of death that kind of paint their face with ash and, and such. Um, but yeah, I I have really enjoyed the more fantastical ones that, you know, kind of like the, the gray skin and, uh, you know, flames coming out of that. I, I, those have been impressive. But Kenny was mentioning that uh, the sort of green green hair, green highlight. I saw one with uh, gray skin and then the, the uh, green hair and such. And uh, I don't know that I would have thought on paper that it would have worked. But man, it, it looked pretty cool. It was pretty striking. And uh, I think they did a pretty good job in the uh, battle tome of laying out like, hey, look, you know, go crazy. There's not... These aren't like Slayers from previous edition where it was like right. they're supposed to have Red or, you know, like they they explicitly open the doors to allow for creativity, which I thought was a very uh, clever move. And, you know, obviously uh, Kenny's experience online has, has proved that it has been uh, a nice opening up, so to speak.
0: Well, real quick on that, Kenny, I know when, when these first came out, I mean, you're a uh, Dwarf player, you're a slayers player through and through. Um, these are not; these are certainly rooted in that, um, you know, that visual. Um, but in Age of Sigmar, these are different. You know, they can, they, they aren't stuck in the orange hair and striped pants. Um, how has how has that been for you? Kind of experiencing this new type of slayer.
2: Nice, because I, as I tell people, as they were complaining online or so, they're not they're not slayers. So these aren't slayers. Like, well, it's true they're not. They're not slayers. They're not the dwarfs that we knew. And the dispossessed, the dwarven, that kind of got like the legacy ones have an Unforged, which is also now a gromadol of paint and white. He. Yeah. he I, I, those kind of lost their luster. Like I played one when I tried the Dwarden, and yeah, I just, eh, wasn't really doing it for me. Like these slayers, they're not the slayers, but the things you like about slayers have survived and gone with these, um, and they've even added a lot of new things. So I, I think they're they're fantastic. <laughs> I love, uh, and the biggest thing, God, this bugs the, <laughs> the hell <laughs> out of me. I never hear you cuss. Uh, they, they have the Mohawk. They, they do not have a helmet that has a crest that's not hair. That is their hair. Uh, their hair goes up. Uh, they, they're, now, with, with the uh, models, though, you get one or two, there's two bald heads you can get. And then the idea is for the champion, the Carl, or as we always say we play, Coral! Coral. <laughs> yeah, they have. You form these this double mohawk and these two pieces that you put on the head. These two hemispheres that go over his head. Uh, but I've kept usually one and ten uh, bald, just with one of the the alternate head that the, the champion doesn't have. And, and it's kind of nice as a mix up. Yeah, just, you know, one guy doesn't have hair, like well, who has a beard but doesn't have a mohawk. It's like whoa. It's just kind of a nice little visual touch. Yeah, they're different, but I think that if you like Slayers and the things that you were hoping for as a Slayers army, you got. We wanted a ward save or the equivalent of a award save. We have one. Uh, I mean, our, our basic units, two, two or three of them have a ward save that can be improved with size or with a hero synergy. So I think they're a great, fun army. Whether you, whether you take them to be competitive and mix them in an alliance or if you just have them by themselves, they think they're they're really fun, and they, they have a lot of little tools that are built in there. And as, they really, as the game evolves and there's more keywords and battalions and war thrown out, you know, they, they have a lot of room to grow.
0: So why don't we take that segue and talk a little bit about them on the table in the campaign phase. The campaign phase.
1: In the campaign phase, we explore how the plastic hits the table: rules, scenarios, new tactics, and narrative campaigns. So, Kenny, <laughs> uh, I've heard I've heard a lot of theory about them, but you're somebody who uh, has played. I I I can't make any claims one way or the other, but you you've certainly got to be among the uh, more numerous games actually played on the table with uh, with a certainly pure fly, Fire Slayers. So, we're gonna hit you up with some of your thoughts about. Uh, about what they look like on the table. So, how about uh, we'll start with this? Do you have a favorite unit?
2: Yeah, God, I played I played over sixty games of just Firestone.
1: Oh, uh, that boy! Yes,
2: I do. So, uh, how about I give you a unit and a hero?
0: Sure, sure, absolutely. A, a synergy.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, the basic unit, the Valkyrs. Um, I like them with double weapons because you re-roll your misses, and it's you don't re-roll once; you re-roll your misses.
1: So, yeah, yeah, so. very groovy. Yeah. It's Which, a- big deal
0: which anytime you I mean I've got armies where you can get that from heroes and that sort of stuff um, and it's fantastic I mean you're, you're yeah your your damage output your your success rate for the normal not Kenny person is <laughs> extremely amazing so to yeah. have that as inherent is is pretty cool
2: yeah and their unit uh, they have a, a six of ward save I'm just gonna call it a ward save six We don't have a better term for it but it grows in number so as you have you know more if you have like 10 10 to 19 it goes to a five up and then 20 above, it's a four up. Um, so starting with, I found like the sweet spot was kind of starting with 25. I uh, need with match play, it still works out because you buy them in, in groups of five. Uh, I think yeah, five for 80 points. They're, they're, they're just great. Uh, and I can't, and when I, uh, find a way to mix them with, um, for so, I mean, uh, my favorite hero, I guess would be the Grimmath Berserker because it has the, not, it has the potential to attack and do like 36 wounds, I think, if you, which of course I never have, but you know you, you get to fight, and then if you manage to roll uh, equal to armor how many wound, unsafe wounds you caused, you get to pile on an attack again, and then when you die, if you die in the combat phase, uh, combat phase, you on a two-up, you get to attack again and pile it, and you know do the healthy again. So he's he's definitely very can be very scary, um, and the magma drafts are great and the whole thing, but I think probably one of the, the best units or best heroes, and I often pair this with twenty-five. Volkite Berserker is, is the Rune Smiter on a foot because he can tunnel you. And what's nice, mm-hmm. we can come up. So you can tunnel anything. I, my brain was thinking, you know, tunnel a unit. So I was thinking, like, from old games, tunnel one of the three infantry units. But no, you can tunnel a hero. You can tunnel a, a hero on a Magma which I've done before, a lot of fun. Um, and so I take, like, 25 of these guys, and you come up in any of your movement phases. You don't have to roll. You just have to be nine inches away from your opponent. Like, you do often a lot of things that come up had to be nine away, uh, and then the Fire Slayers, their their horn blower. Instead of doing what the dwarfs do, where you get the automatic like four on the launch, um, you reroll be your dice when you when you uh, charge, so a better chance of getting a nine. And so I do it; I just go for a lot of times, get them over there and, and just charge. And when you have um, you have tables where you you remove that big unit as a target early on because they can't be shot at; they can't be like zapped away. They're just not there. Uh, you know, it also helps you when you're. You, you put the footprint when you're deploying so you're not cheating and like saying that you have you know you're deploying two less units per spin do you have but you're not you, you're counting them when you need to deployments uh, but then like so you can come up anywhere and so if you need to get, get across the board you know we have movement of four the doom Seeker from super tower is a five but we have a four so you, <laughs> you, you need some way to <laughs> I always have not running i front like hi guys I run faster than you and you, you need a way to get over it it's uh, especially against objectives, uh, or if you're trying to assassinate him, mean, whatever it is, the tunneling is great. So what I tend to do is I, I try to build two smiters, and then as I'm deploying, kind of decide what I want to tunnel. You Because know? sometimes it's not always a unit. Sometimes you might want to tunnel a magma draft over there to puke on units. Uh, I have I've tunneled uh, the grimrath even once just to see what it would do, and it was amazing. Like, it was fantastic. It was just like the stars aligned. It was a,
1: they, they had this unit. Yeah, you, thing, you can probably get him in and around a whole bunch of units, and then his... Uh... Ward save goes way up, right? Isn't yeah. That what it he?
2: He has a six, and uh, per unit within three inches, it gets, per enemy within three inches, it gets better. So I had that in a game against Seraphon, where he kept bringing in enemies around me, and I kept having the two up and it was just <laughs> song and killing everything. <laughs> you know, that, that's what it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of fun units in there. There's three get, There's three infantry units that you can get with different builds. There's uh, six characters, and then there's three more of those characters on Magma Draw, so you have nine potential characters. But there's, I feel like there's still a lot of character, and there's a lot of uh, options that you can do yeah. when you build a list. So you can play them absolutely with just Fire Slayers and without any... You, if you're going to be super competitive, you know you have to understand that you're not going to have magic, you're not going to have um, Unbinding, you're not going to have uh, Mystic Shield or whatever, this other kind of stuff. But um, And we have very few outputs for, for Mortal Wounds, but you're electing to go in and do that. Yeah. yeah, And I would tell people to learn more about the magma bomb and to go to the Facebook page to do that because we're, I know I'm taking a lot of time, but okay. the Facebook page we talk about. Magma. Oh, that's good.
0: And that's, I mean, some people think of the monsters as go in and claw and fang and that sort of thing. But that's where, um, the magma droth, when he's struck, when he bleeds, he does mortal wounds from his lava, lava blood, right?
2: Yeah. He's unfortunately, they're very squishy and they don't have a word save and they, are not really great to attack because they need like fours and and every time I every game like yeah they're just they're not great to do damage output but we don't have all we have for mortal wounds are magma dross the hearthguard berserkers that can swing the flails and there might be one one new thing now um, the but shields the, the shield guys on a six they throw their shield when they run so like we need that uh, and so like he, he I found the magma dross earlier on is more useful. To die, to go out there and to bleed, and but you want to be surrounded by opponents that have multiple. Maybe not single models. Like you want units, so you can lash your tail and you can bleed. But you bleed every phase, and if you're lucky, you can usually do a lot more damage by sacrificing yourself. Um, you know, try, try not to make sure that's not a, a general or someone that you need, and uh, and do more damage. You know, with the magma drop that way, which is kind of a bummer in the beginning when you think about thematically. But no, I've, I've learned to live with it. <laughs> Well,
0: I think, I mean, that some people felt that way about, um, you know, the Blood Knights, um, that they kind of feel more defensively, that they, you know, when they die, they, you know, do more attacks and do more wounds and that sort of thing. Uh, like blood, blood Warriors. Sorry, Blood yeah. Warriors. Uh, oh, the missing, yeah. Uh, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, but I think one of the things that is hard for uh, going into it is to realizing that you're, you do need to sacrifice units in order to, to play the game, that some things are very expendable, kind of like chaff was and and that sort of thing but you know knowing that not you know not everything is going the the key is to not sacrifice your crucial stuff right to have the right stuff to sacrifice to let the other stuff do what they need to do and and if that's the role i mean to me it it sounds to me like that's the noble thing right for the the rune son or the rune father to go in and sacrifice themselves to let the the guys on foot get in there and you know be able to get up and and do more damage and stuff. So there's, I, you know, there's, it could be themely, but yeah, it doesn't, it's not always as satisfying as being able to run in and just claw and fang and, and tail lash and be able to do all the damage you want that way. So it's, yeah, uh,
2: as we just heard, you know, early on the show and God be, sometimes you have to take one on the chin, <laughs> everybody else, but you can, you can do it. It's just the, there's a lot of synergy, but the virus layers, their synergy works with heroes. Usually just being heroes, doesn't matter which one they are. So you just have to think about um, to, and you and to caution the re, the thing I don't like about um, fire slayers and sticking to match play and all the elements of match play is that you only get up to for two thousand points you get six up to six heroes and we need that doesn't it's not so good for us if you just fire slayers by themselves we, we need a lot of heroes so mm-hmm. that can be it can be tough um, and you obviously have to deal with it if that's what you're playing and the narrator games is kind of nice because we just we we just cast off the those limits and you know bring what we want uh, but but it's something you have to just be aware of if you're going to do solo fire slayers and you're stuck and you, you absolutely want to do match play and stick to what it has in that third part of the game and you got to think about what you're going to bring for your heroes uh, but i was
1: i was, I was going to say every time i've kind of played around with a fire slayer list i always like oh man i have like a ton a ton of heroes here you know so that does seem like the most difficult choice when you're yeah. Mm-hmm. you're working through there, I was used to doing
2: it for, for Clash and stuff, Coast GT. And, you know, we were always doing some kind of player comp, even though it wasn't, you know, at points. We were doing our own thing. And then so when this came around, all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, I can't, I have to bring, you know, only six heroes, but I only have three units. It, you just have to be a little bit more creative and how you do things.
1: Right. right. Yeah. Do you, do you have a battalion uh, that you've enjoyed? Favorite battalion or anything? <laughs> um, yeah. So
2: we, okay. I, just, I may get flagged for this. Our, our tome, our battle tome has three battalions and then you have one mega battalion that wraps everything together. And yeah. in some books, that's really cool. Um, in ours, I don't think so much. Uh, I don't, I, I don't, yeah, I, I definitely, especially when you put them all together, cause you have to, if you have the right kind of opponent, it's one thing, but you have to like make an oath to your opponent. And if you don't make this oath, you know, you can kind of judge like whether you, your improv chops are good enough <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of it's sort of weird, um, but but Lords of the Lodge I think is probably the best from our tone. I tried out from Godbeak's Brotherhood of Guardians of the Great Chain uh, over the weekend, and that was very nice doing the whole, you know, being able to puke twice because that's a big deal. You do D6 mortal wounds if you're within five inches, and 5.1 to 15 D3 mortal wounds, but to be do that twice. Now, of course, I rolled double ones, but <laughs> normally, you know, that could have been really good in the game. Um, but the, having the bonuses on the fire Axes, the nerf axes, as we call them, uh, was actually pretty good. And I want to try some of, there are three in, uh, all gates that I want to try, but I have to, I have to, I think we kind of go from being, hey, we got something nice to potentially being pretty good. Because like, if you, if your whole army can bore up, uh, or, you know, the, for these ones, you need three magma draws. So I have to get one more. But it can get a little bit rough. So I want to try some of those, but I want to make sure that it's without being, uh, you know, kind of gamey, I guess. It it could be too far if I play somebody else who's maybe, you know, not taking a crazy Stormcast army or something, then I could maybe be a little bit overpowered. I don't know. We'll have to try it out.
0: I think uh, that uh, the Firesiders could do with a little bit more reputation of being overpowered.
2: I'm trying, man. <laughs> I do. Um, I mean, I do. I do win that type of my games on on combat base. I I do win my fair share of games, but I guess I love the thing I like about H. is I feel like I'm not usually playing a game to win. I feel like I'm already winning by just you know winning by playing. But I mean, like we're we're playing like narrative battles, historical battles. where like the, the victory conditions are totally different from kill points or objectives. Even like, you're you're doing something totally different. Yeah. And I just I really enjoy those. And with my fire slayers, I can usually always get a game I can usually engage um, even if like the one time I fought against Skaven all mortal wound shooting and I got shot off by like turn three I had ward saves you know and they had mortal wounds so I should have been dead turn one uh, and you know these guys torn underground so they, they have some really nice things in there you just have to kind of find them uh, but, but it takes I think progressing beyond that theory hammer pen and paper you know planning stage that list building stage you have to go to the next stage and actually play some games yeah
1: Awesome. Is there any uh, character or unit that you have not really gotten to try out much, and you want to check out? Is there is there something that's like uh, scratching your scratching your brain, saying, "Hey, check me out; I might be cool."
2: <laughs> you know, for the first time ever on Saturday, and because I had the Guardians of the Great Chain God of Beast formation, I used a Rune Smiter on a Drop, which I'd never done. And so mm-hmm. I used his because uh, you know I, they're better on foot, and I don't want as many tunnel things as I can get. He was uh, he was okay, you know. He, I can see what people that are list building and before they played would like one of them because you can have this once per game rerolling wounds, which is really good for us. Uh, a bubble effect instead of just one unit. But I, I don't think I would take one again if, um, unless I really, like I was using the entire collection and I had points left over I had space left over. I would take one maybe, but not really so much. I haven't tried the only thing I haven't tried are Hearthguard Berserkers with the Broadax that does two damage and has a rent. but um, I've for me I would think okay I, I have to still wound them and if they have uh, <laughs> armor saves and ward saves and everything like I I have fought armies where it just they always make their save their Mystic Shield or whatever they have a three up save and those make it or a two up save, but the having the mortal wound output on the so having them have the flaming pullax, I think it's like a no brainer for me uh, and um, yeah I'm just. In fact, this past weekend I had like nine guys swinging. I did seven mortal wounds. And I took off a unit of storm vermin before I that had been like plaguing me, you know, in the whole game. And then even before I rolled wound, they got taken off. So that was just, <laughs> yeah, it's it's very valuable, I think. Um, but I so I, it's the only thing I haven't tried is the Hearthguard Berserkers without the playing Pole Axis. And I just I don't really see the value, and I would I would not model any that way. I think I would, you know, somebody like proxy we could try it one time, but I don't want to. Build any that way. I think it's kind
0: of a waste for the, for me personally. For sure. No, I think it's uh, yeah, like you said. There's not many things that do mortal wounds, and it's definitely a uh, something that's essential to just include for variety. So um, yeah,
1: no, very cool. Have you have you uh, uh, one more question, and we'll, we'll uh, sure. close it out here. I, I'm curious about the uh, the fellow that does the train. Is he, he's the rune master, Arc Rune Master?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so the volcano call thing, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, that this thing I can't quite wrap my head around how good it is or isn't, but it seems it seems fun at the very least. Glad you brought that up. So
2: I actually bought a second one of those guys, and I got to use them when we did the the battle and used the whole collection. His, uh, it, it sounds really stupid, and it's a fluff rule. And you, he has two things: like he has the Urgold thing. You almost, I think, only once I've ever actually gotten to get near the person who has the ergold to, to survive to call them out. And have the effect happen. I think out of like one out of like sixty something games, has actually ever happened. But yeah. his volcano call thing seems kind of eh. Yeah, you know, you, you do a mortal wound if you pick up a, a big piece of terrain, a big footprint. But you make that terrain essentially deadly, but a little bit higher than deadly because if they end on it. Like all you can do if you if you're in a forest and I volcano call it like if you walk off, walk off it, you'll be fine. But if you run charge, if you end your movement on it, and like that you know then on a one you're dead because like, I killed a tree lord that way. That, that ended up being a way, way bigger um, psychological component, like a psych out to my opponent, than I ever thought it would sure. be. And we started noticing this early on, talking about like, the tactics mm. on the Fire Slayer group. Like, what's going on with this Volcano's Call thing? Because, like, it has so much more value just, like, by the, uh, the threat of it, like the whole, like, deterrence of it, rather than actually having it, you know, killing people with it. Uh, but putting that out there, you can do a lot of board control. So I got two to kind of control the, bit, the whole board. And it's made a pretty nice difference. It depends on the game. It eventually, like if, you know, it affects you as well, but I will run my one-one infantry guys and chance it, you know, over this piece of terrain. Uh, but they, my opponent doesn't so much, you know, think the same way. They sometimes, they don't want to chance it, especially for the big guys. So yeah. like, you know, I think that there's a huge hidden value in that. Uh, I think all the characters have a lot of value. You just have to kind of find the right way to use them. And if you can't in your game or if, if the unit that they had a uh, use for dies, there's still a synergy by being a keyword hero and having that affect, you know, other units, whether it's the, the hearth guard getting better war safer, getting better hit.
0: Very cool. I think the with the thing where he passes the Urgold, you almost have to plan for well because they're gonna pick somebody far away, seems like. The Best
2: the time, right? So it's always going to go with the best of the time. <laughs> right?
0: But then, if you can use your Rune Smiter on foot to teleport or to to tunnel and bring somebody really close to that, uh, you know, it seems like you. But you're you're using that key thing to achieve, you know, what that's doing. I suppose it depends on what they pick and whether it's worth going after it.
2: Yeah, I did it once. I popped over and I was like, "He's got, he got it!" Uh, but the thing is, I didn't have the units around to to hit.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, again with Sacrificial Units too the, the, a lot of guys that I see list building uh, on the groups or in other forms they, they look at the Battlesmith and say this guy can reroll armor saves which I don't see a lot of value in that because I think armor saves are so bad anyway that if we hit with Ren you know, it's really going to fall back on that ward save but that, you, I think that Battlesmith has to die strategically because if you have a game with objectives or if you're holding a battle line you know, and you have a bunch of guys around this guy uh, when he dies, there's this, they have this rule called None shot to file the icon." And if you're within five inches, you can elect to stop and guard that, so you don't get to move the rest of the game except to to pile in and you know and, and move around. But uh, you get to reroll like your hits and your wounds, and it's a pretty big deal. And actually, in our narrative game, like on Saturday, consumed the only part of my army that could have gotten over had declared to instead you know fall over this icon, <laughs> so they couldn't move. <laughs> yeah. But they wouldn't have made. It. I mean, it, it was turn seven. They wouldn't have you know the, the Volkites going through the realm gate and popped up on the other side of the table. They wouldn't have made a difference anyway. Which is kind of funny to see it backfire, you know, in the game. <laughs> like, no, this is the fluff. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of like I think hidden value in sacrificing some of these units that you just um, have to to consider. You know, and so there's different ways to play the army, and in having some uh, problems, you know, or having a, a bit of ill luck, you know, you can you know, pull yourself up by your dwarven bootstraps and get mm-hmm. out still pulling through.
0: So would you say the start collecting box is a good place to start with this army?
2: I would say if they created one it would be fantastic. And I know oh, that sorry
1: <laughs> I was like, I can't Wait imagine up, what's in it.
2: <laughs> uh, I don't think it will have I think it'll be more like the Oryx or like the Iron Gels. I don't think it when we do get one, it can't be a magma because that would just be too good of a deal. Like I don't I don't I think that's probably a bit too much. I can see it being maybe like Volkites. Hearthguard and a character or two.
0: Let me, let me rephrase then. If, <laughs> if someone was to start an army, um, where would you put them at Volkite Berserkers and a, and a Magmadroth to get some extra heroes? Would that be a, the best place to start?
2: Yeah, I think, yeah. What I commonly see is people getting one or two boxes of Hearthguard, box, at least one box of Volkites, and a Magmadroth kit. Because the Magmadroth kit will give you your selected character on the Magmadroth, but the other two on foot. So no matter what you build... You get the maximum use out of it. Um, and you know, the way there's a, a switch, it's just how they switch out the lower part of the body. So you can still use whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you get a lot of utility out of it. So for $110 US before you get discounts, you're still getting three characters. It's, it's not actually that bad of a deal. Uh, but I would say get one of those, get a box of Hearthguard and decide if you want to build them as berserkers or orcs, which have that guns and, uh, at least a box of 10-volt crates to start.
0: Cool,
2: air bones. <laughs> and a grim math berserker, math
0: Very cool, very cool. It sounds like uh, the same same difficulty of choosing which you know how to get all the heroes in your list. You are going to be putting them in the shopping cart too.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of like you have to get out there and experience some of the um, the down tides of battle to really find your footing and see where your army can really come through and shine.
0: Man, that's spoken like a true fire slayer right there.
2: Oh, and just things are looking like they're bad. Like that—that that sun guy looks like she's about to get sucked away. And then I was you know, like, hey, wait a minute, we're firefighters. <laughs> 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 Screw this. Let's get out the axes and go to work.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, Kenny, uh, for joining us uh, for this episode. Uh, it's been really fun having you. Been a long listener of Combat Phase, but you know, before that, uh, enjoyed playing you uh, across the table here in Madison. Um, so, thanks for coming on 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 the show.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. We will play again here soon. I'll be back to Madison as soon as I can.
1: Awesome. All right. Looking forward to it.
2: And if anything else, I'll see you at uh, Holy Havoc. Yeah,
0: yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. Cool. And Kenny, uh, as a co-host of The Combat Phase, um, where can people listen to your show?
2: Uh, they can find us. They can subscribe on iTunes. It's a weekly show, and the episodes usually go up now Thursdays. We do have CombatPhase.com for an episode guide. Robert, my co-host, is not always on top of that. (laughs) So (laughs) you may not find the numbers match up to what's coming out. Uh, So I'd recommend, you know, subscribe on iTunes, or if you go, we have a Facebook page, uh, just facebook.com forward slash combat phase, where we we post episodes. Uh, And on Twitter, we have at combat phase pod C, because we are ran out of characters (laughs) for our Twitter. Um, But probably better, it's just I'm at at KennyLol, Um, K-E-N-N-Y-L-U-L-L on Twitter and from there you can find whatever you need about the show
3: Awesome
0: It's time for our reforging Come discuss the show on the TGA.community forums, follow us on Twitter at Mortal Realms Davey is at Red underscore Zeke and Eric is at Gamer. A review on iTunes would go a long way to helping others find our show and dive into Age of Sigmar stories Lastly if you want to support the show, we have Mortal Realm status tokens available as a free DIY printable download or for $15 US plus shipping. You can have 60 full color, high quality laser cut tokens to help you keep track of your synergies on your battlefield. Go to thegamecrafters.com forward slash games forward slash mortal dash realms dash status dash tokens and add dash desert if you're interested in desert tokens. First of all, we usually do an intro with, well, I usually use some stupid pun. Um yeah. so so mine's gonna be an aficionado of the great green twerk. Uh because oh I, like <laughs> 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 I I think I can work
1: it. I yeah, you uh it might be in one other ones that works better on paper than it does vocally. So go 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 on t- Twerk.
3: Twerk. <laughs> to twerk. <laughs>